Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Andre, how are you? I'm very good. Yourself, Gabby? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome all to part four of Book Corner with Andy from myfootballbooks.com. Got to say, your website gets better, your social medias get <laughs> better, your newsletter gets fantastic. So people, please subscribe to this wonderful organisation, myfootballbooks.com. What have you got in store for us tonight? And by the way, my author or writer... Yeah, I don't know how to call it a football uh, writer or an author. It's more of a, a writer, isn't it? Authors write fictional books, and I don't yeah. like fictional books. I like football books, hence Book Corner is uh, <laughs> Neil Palmer. So we're going to be listening to Neil uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Oh, fabulous. But uh, firstly, what have you got in store? What route do you want to go down? It's almost as though we've got a deck of cards each and we just play our... <laughs> Our cards down, and um, I've got my Joker in the pack this week, which I'm oh, gonna, yeah, well this month, which I'm going to lay down a little bit, uh, a, a little bit later Excellent. in the podcast. Excellent. Are you still on page one hundred and five of um, uh, yes. Granddad's nineteen seventies? Yes, I haven't read <laughs> a single page more than the last time and the time before, and I think if anybody goes back to uh, book corner. From part one, I'm probably on the same page as well. I do that many <laughs> podcasts. I do that much researching. I do that much talking. Um, yeah. And I just don't find time to read the football books. I buy them no and I love them. And I've got them in my library. But uh, one yeah. day I will. But I do dip into them to find out little facts. And yeah, I absolutely. did do that this week on a certain book. And I'm going down a another avenue a little bit later in the podcast and all will Excellent. be revealed. So what Excellent. have you got well, first? Yeah, well, what I wanted to ask you about first, about the book, how you get it on, but uh, uh, no, uh, no particular agenda uh, in terms of where we go, but it's, um, I was going to just uh, touch on uh, the newsletter. Thanks for mentioning that as well and uh, really reiterate um, uh, as well that, um, yeah, please subscribe on the, web- on the website so you can... Um, that comes out every the first of every month as well. So, uh, but yeah, if I start off, uh, uh, maybe just uh, with the uh, Christmas period just gone, which already seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah, a couple of weeks sure. back. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got to, I got. To, I'm probably the easiest person to buy for really, because as you can expect, it comes as no surprise. A lot, lot more football books over Christmas. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Amazon gift card, etc. As well, so come in handy. So. Uh, um, so I've got a couple of books I'm reading at the moment. Um, um, one of them, uh, um, it's a, like a coffee table book. It's called Goal, um, which is an intimate portrait uh, and interviews with every living uh, FIFA World Cup final goal scorer. Um, yeah. Which is yeah, it's really it's, it's one of these um, you class as a coffee table type of book, and uh, it's really fascinating. So I've been reading that and. Uh, 
Yeah, just some of the interviews, etc. This was written, it's sorry, published in 2017. Um, but yeah, some of the um, stories. So, for example, you've got an interview with the scorer of the winning um, goal in the 1950 World Cup final when Uruguay famously beat Brazil uh, in the uh, if you recall in the Maracanã. And uh, so you've got to do with this goal score. I can't pronounce his name. It's a silly this Gigia. I'm getting nowhere near that. It's G-H-I-G-G-I-A. But he scored the winning goal. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's a number of interviews, like, for example, with him. And one of the phrases he says, actually, he says here, he's only one of three people that's ever silenced uh, the American R. Uh, the Pope, Frank Sinatra, and me. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah it's really good really interesting and the interviews he does in here uh, some of the interviews obviously you've got Jeff Hurst in here as well etc and a number of others so really good book um, and uh, yeah I've um, been catching up on another book that um, I've had on my uh, shelf for some time uh, it's a book called Arthur Kennard um, yeah yeah that's it, that's it. Well, he also, yeah, because of course we just passed the FA Cup third round, which was a great weekend, wasn't it, football? Yeah. Um, and yeah, Arthur Kennard, he was, um, he's classed the first lord of football. He won five FA Cups um, and he organised the world's first um, football international. And he was actually president for the FA for 33 years as well. So quite a guy. And if anyone's ever seen him, there's actually, um, there's a documentary which is loosely based on the fact uh, of his life and others called The English Game on Netflix um, which is really good I recommend to anyone to watch it just gives you a bit of an insight of the Victorian times uh, around that period but um, yeah Arthur Kinnard is a book I'm reading at the moment written by Andy Mitchell uh, and uh, yeah really fascinating you just some of these guys and yeah this guy is um, he did a lot outside of football as well so he fought for social justice he spent nights teaching uh, slum kids how to read and write and you know not your conventional kind of footballer let's say so uh, but it's a, an amazing biography it's just and again as we always say every month on these uh, just so many fascinating stories out there which are a long gone that you don't know about really until you you dig into the archives let's say absolutely um, but, but yeah so the pioneers and the originators of football just so so many fascinating stories isn't there Gabby there certainly is, and while you've mentioned one book about the FA Cup, what other mm. books on the FA Cup are there? Because I've looked at your socials, and I'm always retweeting and sharing them. I'm thinking, oh, that's a juicy book. Oh, I like <laughs> the look of that book. That looks like a great book there. Oh, that's a fantastic yeah. read there. Although, as you know, I don't read them. I just look at the covers and go, oh, that <laughs> looks juicy. But there's so many books on the FA Cup, and it is the 150th yeah. year of the yeah. FA Football Association Challenge Cup, given its full name. So, yeah. what other books have you got out there uh, with FA Cup references? And is there a book about the League Cup? Oh, the League Cup? Yeah. I don't know of one, actually. No, There'd be a good one to write. No, I don't know of one. Nothing no. jumps out of my head at this moment in time. So, uh, I think you might have picked on a subject... Because you always feel like everyone's covered pretty much every subject, yeah. but that's probably one you you spotted a gap in the market. So probably someone's scra- uh, scrambling that down now to start writing it. So uh, that'd be great to know, wouldn't it? So uh, no, none that I'm aware of. There'll be books obviously out there about some of the 
well, the clubs, etc., have had successes in the tournaments, haven't they? So, uh, but not one particular about the League Cup. But then the FA Cup, there's a number of, and obviously it has been the 150th year. Um, there's a few coming out in the next couple of months, actually, uh, celebrating the anniversary. Um, there's one that I think we mentioned on last month's uh, podcast is coming out by Miguel Delaney. I might, I hope I'm remembering that right. Uh, and that's the official history of the FA Cup. And there's another one coming out through uh, Pitch Publishing. Uh, and that's by Richard Whitehead, which is a pictorial celebration uh, of the tournaments. But out there at the moment, you've got FA Cup books. There was one that came out last year, which was um, really fascinating. I've not read, read it as of yet, but it's the early years of the FA Cup. And again, I think we've mentioned it. It's how the British Army helped establish the world's first football tournament. So it's just such a rich history, isn't it? It's, well, it's brilliant. Uh, and there was another book actually that came out last week, but it was, but it was an enthusiast who you'll find on Twitter, uh, called Phil Lannitz, uh, and he brought out a book called The FA Cup 150, and it's just a, an absolute plethora of facts. It's an amazing, really, in terms of the facts that this uh, book's got involved of, yeah, just demonstrates just how, um, yeah, how incredible the tournament is. And, uh, and it was just great to have a good weekend of it as well, but it's just gone, isn't it? So, uh, some interesting, um, Obviously, Kidderman is the one that stands out, doesn't it? So, some good stories there. Uh, but there's a collection of books as well. I know it was brought out by Pitch. There was one focused on, uh, I think I shared it recently, on the, when it was basically titled, subtitled, When the FA Cup Really Matters. Yes. And there's a number of volumes, one of the 60s, one of the 70s, and one of the 1980s. So, you know, growing up in that period, we all know, well, some of the stories, etc. One of One of them sticks out for me, which I saw recently, um, and I think it's coming up to the anniversary soon as the Ronnie Radford goal obviously for um, Hereford against Newcastle well, I was watching a clip of that the other day just, I don't know what it is there's certain clips like that goal uh, and you hear John Motson's voice of course it gets you a little bit of hair on the back of your neck I've got no affiliation with either club of course or Hereford but yeah it's just a magic isn't it Gabby as I'm sure you'll agree it's um, but yeah yeah, it's yeah. isn't it? It's a 1971-72 season. Um, That's now, it. What a giant killing act that was. I had yeah. the pleasure of um, Pat Howard's company to uh, talk about the 1974 FA Cup final uh, against Fabulous. Liverpool. And I've done a My 70s football uh, uh, podcast with, uh, with Pat. And we were talking about that game <clears> and... He was in line with Ronnie Radford when the ball whistled past his ear. And as well, he did, he thought, that's got <laughs> half a chance of going in that ass. I mean, I what a goal. To this day, one of the great FA Cup goals and one that us older fellas will always remember. And of, <laughs> of course, the game was called off on a number of occasions, yeah. wasn't it? The 70s yeah, was, it a, was a very different time to what we have these days. Yeah, I love the clip about it because he did just a little bit before and he, he um, Ronnie Radford tackles, doesn't he? He slides in to get the ball back yeah. and he plays that one-two and it's yes. the mud bath, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And yeah. it must have been bobbling like anything there when he's coming up to it, but he, he's just caught it as true as anything. You can't hit a ball any better than that. It's one of these, I suppose, it either goes there or it goes you know, right into the car park behind. And it just went sailing, didn't it, right in that top corner. And when the when they come on the pitch, etc. It's just, yeah, that's the emotion, isn't it? The FA Cup. That's absolutely oh, brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and John Monson's commentary was brilliant as well. You know, 
Yeah, it was his, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say that was his first one as well. Yeah. He shot him to fame, didn't he? He, he writes about it in the forward. Um, I think we might mentioned it on the last month's uh, podcast. He mentioned it in the forward for Daniel Abraham's book, 71 72 season. So, uh, but yeah, they're but great. That's how things fall into people's laps, if you like. You've still got to go on and be able to deliver. But my. Um, recollection is that somebody was ill and John Motson was called off the substitute's bench, done the commentary yeah. and done such a fantastic job. He's, <laughs> he's now renowned. Who who would your favourite commentator be? I would I would oh. go down Barry Davis if I'm honest. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and David what... Coleman as well was a big uh, favourite of mine. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think when you, as soon as you said that, I'll straight away come into mind is Barry Davis. There's just something about his voice. There's something yeah. quite comforting to hear his voice as well. I, I think I, can, I remember. I mean, it might be Barry Davis or it might be John Motson that said it perfectly when uh, uh, about not speaking at the right time and actually using silence to the best of your ability as well when you're a commentator. Because I find some of the commentators nowadays. Uh, someone on Sky, etc. They just talk too much, yeah. and they just want to have their opinions as well. And it's all about the, the, the old commentators. Always seem to they just talk to you. About, they talk to you about actually what's happening in front of them, not actually about anything else. And you know, there's, sometimes they does that make sense, Gary? They, they kind of talk too much. No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think that um, there's a number <laughs> of these modern, uh, new age commentators that do put uh, their opinions forward yeah. and yeah. I I like commentators to say what they need to say when they yeah. need to say it let's have some lovely facts that we can go oh I didn't know that but I don't really yeah. want your opinion because I ain't bothered about your opinion you're a commentator yeah exactly you're there to commentate on what's in front of you aren't you and I think that's when I can't remember many times Barry Davis or uh, Coleman really you know went into the the ins and outs of the footballer's life story, etc., during the game, kind of thing. So uh, I think they just got it right. That's what I always thought. And silence was golden as well, isn't it? So uh, I think it was somewhere, I'm trying to remember the quote, but it was something along the lines of, if there's nothing worth saying, just don't say it. Yeah. It might be something as simple as that. And I think, uh, yeah, that gets it. It's always the same as like in cricket. And I think of, is it Richie Burnow? In yeah. cricket, you've got great voices like that, but just know when to speak at the right time. So, uh, and this one's in darts and snooker as well, except for a number of sports. But, no, Barry Davis, yeah, I'd agree with that. But I always find Definitely. as well the radio commentators are fantastic because they have to oh, yeah. describe as well. And you listen to some, you can just close your eyes and you almost yeah. see the picture in front of you while your eyes are closed because the commentary is that great. But we did reach a period where commentating did change where it used to be just um, John or Barry yeah. or, or, yeah. or Kenneth Walsterhome for uh, the really really old listeners, but yeah. it seemed to change somewhere at some time where we had the co-commentator and they wanted a different slant on the game. It's almost yeah. as though the the broadcasting companies believe that we're all idiots. And we need somebody <laughs> there to tell us what football's like. But, but he's right there, because now you've got some, some games, you've got three of them, haven't you? And you've yeah, even got a referee. Yeah. You've got a referee now that you need to bring in to comment on what you've just... 
I just, I don't know, there's overkillers in there. <laughs> Cloppy summed it up right, didn't they? He says, young man, yeah. you need to shut up more and play more football on match of the day. And he was yeah. absolutely spot on. And that's what we watch yeah. the football for, the magic moments, the football, not the commentators. They're not the personalities. They turned no. into personalities because they were bloody good at the job in the 70s. But these days, they almost want to be the personality and they're not. Yeah. They're just the person that commentates and uh, lets us enjoy the game uh, yeah. and, and let the players play. And just on that, I remember the Brian Clough injury he did with John Monson, didn't he? Where he said he something along those lines. Yeah. Where he said that you're there to commentate. You know, you're not there to patronise us in our, in our living rooms about what's happened, etc. as well. And uh, he was ahead of his time as well. I'd love to know what he thinks about VAR, for example. I always remember him talking about, I think it was the same into John Watson. I know we're here to talk about football books, but um, um, but when he was talking about um, the referees, and you could, I think he said something along the lines, the way you talk about referees is scandalous, etc. They've only got a split decision to make a you know, we're right one. We all make mistakes, etc. I'd love to know what he thinks about VAR now. It's just, uh, even when you watch VR, you still watch every, you watch that Manchester United Villa and that goal uh, that was disallowed. You can watch it from every angle, God sends, and you still don't know. Uh, and I'm not really sure they still got the right decision anyway after three and a half minutes. Well, they didn't, in my opinion, but there you go. I, so, think, uh, Brian, but, yeah. I think Brian Overclough <laughs> would say, yeah. young man, if it's clear and obvious, use it. If it yeah. isn't, stick it up your jack, see. Now, if it's yeah. clear and obvious, it takes 30 seconds maximum, not three <laughs> minutes, 36 seconds. Exactly. From every angle possible, it's ridiculous. It, it really is. is. Crazy. Sad, sadly, that's what, for many people, it turns football it turns people off football, doesn't it, if I'm afraid. So, of modern football, it's one of those elements. For all it's good, it does bring in some odd things as well, so... We don't accept, well, footballers or, um, I don't know, the money involved in football now, you can't accept mistakes any longer, can you, Gabby? No. You can't, you can't, it just, it's too serious, let's say, which sometimes that's part of the problem. I think we take it far too serious. It is still a game, it's a sport, etc. So, Absolutely, it certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nottingham Forest are the only football league club to have played football um, FA Cup. Uh, ties in all four home country, uh, countries. In 1885, they travelled to Edinburgh mm. for a semi-final replay against Queen's Park. They played at Linfield in the first round of the 1889 competition. And in 1922, oh. they were beaten in the third round at Cardiff City. So when we're talking about uh, football facts of the FA Cup, that's a fantastic one. Forest are the only football league club to have played in all countries, well, home Brilliant. countries that competed in the FA Cup and it will never be equal because, of course, we don't have the yeah. Scottish participants and we certainly don't have the Irish participants, but we still do have one or two Welsh clubs in there. You always pick uh, a book for Book Corner, um, the uh, podcast that I do yeah. with uh, Terry Curran, the weekly uh, podcast. I believe in miracles was one that you were uh, oh, yes. sent to us this week by Daniel Taylor. Now that was from the uh, documentary that Johnny Owen uh, yeah. produced. A fantastic, yeah. fantastic documentary about Nottingham Forest. Oh yeah, you don't have to be a Forest fan or probably not even a football fan just to get there. It's brilliant, isn't it? That uh, yeah. documentary. It's like. Uh, 
And the music that goes alongside it is from the time as well, isn't it? It's a brilliant soundtrack to that documentary as well. And, and Johnny Owen, he's, he's, yeah, he's superb, isn't he? He's on, he's on Talk Sport now, isn't he, as well? So, uh, Sundays um, between 9 and 11, yeah. Mark Webster. Brilliant programme. My yeah. best two hours of radio in the week. Yeah. I think if you're going to do a radio show, do it a little bit different. Give us some things that we didn't know and educate us yeah. in, in a proper working class manner. So yeah. Mark and, yeah. and, uh, and Johnny do that fabulously well. The official history of the FA Cup by uh, Miguel Delaney. You, uh, you sent us that as well. As you yeah. did the Mavericks. English football mm. and Flair World Flares by um, by Rob Steen. And you also sent us last month Origin Stories by Chris Lee, um, the yeah. fantastic podcaster and writer of Outside Right. So you, uh, you contribute in more than... Uh, well, many ways in in our podcast, not just on Book Corner, but in the current view. And you also helped me out with an On This Day as well, which is always greatly rep- uh, appreciated. Because what you do, you put books out that are coming out onto your, your, your socials via Twitter yeah. and Facebook. Yeah. But you also look at when there's birthdays and things that's going on. I must admit, yeah. on this week's podcast... I forgot to mention that Sir Matt Busby uh, retired in 1969. Both yeah. TC and myself believed it was a little bit later, and we kind of settled on 72. Yeah, <laughs> we were three it. years out. <laughs> yeah, I heard as well. Yeah, no, no, great. I oh, know. Um, no, thanks for that as well. So uh, I think it's important. Yeah, you talk about new releases and boxes coming out soon, etc. But. I like to, yeah, just as something I thought about in terms of, you know, autobiographies, biographies, you know, linking that to happy the birthdays, etc. And then on this day, you know, it's a way of bringing it to life, you know, these, some of these stories, etc. So, uh, yeah, and I think some of the books you mentioned there just shows you how many different stories there is when you think about the Cluffy days of, and then origin stories from right from the start and then the 70s, the Mavericks, etc. There's so many stories out there. And I think that was my kind of like an idea of on this day kind of kind of capturing that I suppose at various times yeah um, by using the dates of a year really um, because uh, yeah there's so many stories out there isn't there uh, yeah. of our the beautiful game there certainly is and you capture them very nicely let's go down the um, west coast uh, although yeah. it's yeah it is the west coast isn't it to a city uh, Bristol oh yes yeah because there's a few books um, about uh, the Bristolians, as the uh, Jeff Merrick story that's uh, coming out later on this month, on the 28th of February. There's also yeah. the Jerry Gow story, and yeah. uh, 20 great games from uh, Bristol City players. Yeah, What's yeah. your um, memories or, or um, thoughts about Bristol? Because we're going to be catching up shortly with... Um, with Neil Palmer, who, who wrote the book, who coincidentally is my author of the month. So what's, yeah. your, what's your thoughts and memories about the Bristolian connection? <laughs> well, the, 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 uh, well Brist- uh, Neil Palmer is obviously a big, uh, I'm assuming he's a Bristol City fan. He's Massive. wrote a number of books, yeah. hasn't he? <laughs> I assumed as such, because obviously he wrote a number of books, hasn't he? Uh, uh, I know a lot of match of my life, Bristol City, and then you've got the Jerry Gow story that came out last year, yeah. um, which is um, 
There was a famous chant, wasn't there? I'm not sure we could repeat it on here, but it's here, is there, yeah, is every. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Gary Cow, Gary Cow. So, uh, but yeah, Bristol is um, it's such a big city as well, isn't it? It's a big. People forget how big Bristol is down there on the. Uh, yeah, it is the West Coast, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, yeah. um, but you forget how big that catchment area is there. And they've been, obviously, they've got to so so far. Um, but never uh, such ha- hit the sustained su- sustained success, let's say, at the top of the football, have they? Um, but um, there's a lot of characters down that way, isn't there? Bristol City, and they've got um, Bristol Rovers just across the way as well, haven't they? As well. So, uh, but yeah, they certainly have, and they also had a tea party, a chimpanzees tea party in 1976. So. Uh, Let's just have a <laughs> let, let's just have a listen to the thoughts of my author of the month, Mr. Neil Palmer. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you very much. Good, and welcome to fine. Book Corner, author of the month, Neil Palmer. We did a podcast uh, last month about your wonderful book uh, about Trevor Ford, the authorised biography, and you've got another book that's coming out on the 28th of February, pretty much about the Ashton Gate 8. So let's start in that ballpark. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Um, I'm really, really honoured, and I really am. Right, so the the book really is, is Jeff Merrick. It's Jeff's um, autobiography, which I've sort of written with him. Jeff was um, Mr. Bristol City, to be perfectly honest. England schoolboy turned down a host in this would have been in the 1960s turned down a host of um, clubs to sign for his local club or the, the club that he could literally throw a stone from the house he was born in and, and, and hit the club um, the love of his life of the, the team were Jeff then was the club's youngest captain 18 years of age he then was a, a store in in the side uh, one promotion with them in 1975. They won promotion to the first division. Um, lasted four years. As I say, Jeff ran out that for Bristol City fans, the famous day at Highbury where they ran out on the first day. I remember it being on the big match as well for those who never went, but it seemed like all the Bristol City fans went to that day at Highbury. They won 1-0, goal from Paul Cheesley. Jeff led him out. It was his greatest dream. Um, in the in while they were in the first division, he was considered by many to be one of the best defenders. Whole host of clubs were still trying to buy him. Um, the likes of Wolves, the likes of um, Arsenal, turned them all down to stay with Bristol City. And then the wheels came off the club, essentially from a financial point of view. And it ended up the story 1982 of. Jeff was among seven footballers who were asked to tear up their contracts to save the football club, which they invariably did. And um, it was one of the very first jobs that uh, Gordon Taylor had at the PFA. And speaking to Gordon now, he says he didn't really know. He'll admit he didn't know what he was doing because he'd never heard of it before. Uh, They asked the players to rip up their contracts, which they did. Um, And then over the years of sort of become legend but as I say Jeff's story was a lot more than that but that really there's a a huge part of of that book and it's something that Jeff has never really 
talked about and it was talking to his family and, and, and obviously Jeff, it was good for him to get it all out and it was uh, a dream for me to, to sit down and write with him. Because you are a big Bristol City fan and you can tell by your twang that you are a Bristolian. <laughs> Who that were the other true. seven? It did include Chris Garland, because I remember Alan telling me about uh, about Chris being, being one of those players that ripped up the contract to save the club. Yeah, he did. It was it was Trevor Tainton, it was Jerry Sweeney, it was Julian Marshall, it was Peter Aitken, it was Chris Garland, um, it was Jeff, and it was uh, Jimmy Mann, and it was Dave Rogers, yeah. and they they were the eight. And it was fifty years ago, wasn't it? Forty. It was forty. Sorry, 40. Be... My maths are awful. Yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> it'll be forty the uh, the end of next month. Well, the the actual date was sort of the uh, the third third or fourth of February. So yeah, start of next month will be forty years. Yeah. Time flies because in in this area uh, of Birmingham, it was uh, obviously yes, of course it was because it, it was forty years since Villa won the European Cup, and while yeah, Villa were right, yeah were were, were uh, reveling in that glory. Yeah. Along the uh, the West Country, Bristol City really did it. The Buffers. What went wrong for the club? How come the club got themselves into that predicament? Well, a lot of it was to do with we had a centre half called Gary Collier. Gary Collier was um, a tremendous footballer. He was a, a Rolls Royce of footballer. And what happened with Gary is he had an offer from um, Coventry. And the club said that they didn't want to um, listen to what Coventry had to say. They'd listen at the end of the season. Um, you've got to remember, both these teams were sort of first division then. And Gary said, no, I want to speak to Coventry. Um, to cut a long story short, um, Gary took Coventry City to, uh, or took the actual rule in the FA to court, which he won. And that was the start of freedom of contract. Wow. which then meant that Gary could go. Bristol City, he went for a fraction of the price. Bristol City manager Alan Dix at the time, in his infinite wisdom, thought it would be a good idea to put a couple of long players, not the Ashton 8, as it turned out, but a couple of players, people like Clive Whitehead, who was who ended up at West Brom, yeah, um, people like that, on things like seven- and eight-year contracts, because they thought, well, if they're contracted, no clubs can come and get them. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it was fraught with danger, and plus mismanagement of those people who ran the club at the time in the first division, spending money that they never had. And the sort of eight players were the ones who uh, who sort of uh, were the full guys, as it were. And it, and it did change the landscape of the football clubs that do hit the buffers and the fact that the players now do get every penny that yeah. they're owed from their contract. And that was down to this iconic um, part of Bristol City's history and the intervention of, of Gordon Taylor and the PFA. And they put blocks into place to make sure that the players didn't lose as those players did lose back 40 years ago, didn't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. Gordon said from that moment on, I mean, it's very difficult to, to sort of look at it now, because it's so the other way, it was, you know, yeah. when you look at it, how players are now, you know, the cl- at the time the clubs held everything. But Gordon Taylor did say that it was the reason what happened at Bristol City, that the very first people to get paid 
will be the players. Now, as I say, when we look at it now, they get, you know, unbelievable money. But it was a result of the Bristol City 8, so the Ashton 8, as they're called. Yeah, it was. It, that, that's why, the, as you say, why the landscape changed regarding fo- uh, football. And as you say, that the times do change. I'm looking at the front cover of um, the new edition of uh, When Saturday Comes. And there's a picture of Jack Grealish. He's got Southampton sold for $100 million And Grealish, yeah. the, the bubble out of his mouth, he's bargaining. And I think when we put things into perspective 40 years on, kids yeah. don't understand. And, and, and why should they, really? Because it was a generation or two generations ago. Yeah. But times were very, very different in the 70s. We even had uh, chimpanzees tea parties, didn't we, at Aston Gate <laughs> in the 70s? You wouldn't get that now, of course. No, there's 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 an awful lot of things. I always it it was the days when you could literally live next door to a football player, as a, an an ordinary working man could. As many of the players like Jeff would uh, would tell me, and that you know if if the club they'd be in the local they'd be in the local pub on a Saturday night, particularly if they won, um, or they'd clean the car on a Sunday if they'd won, and they wouldn't bother on a if if they'd lost because but they were they were sort of part of the community and i think that that is a thing that is it's incredibly sad that that sort of side of football has gone and i'm you know i i think i'm very lucky i'm nearly 60 now but i think i'm very lucky to be at an age when i remember when as i say you'd see footballers in your local shop and that sort of thing absolutely and some of the footballers worked in the local shop didn't they or owned the local shop or the local yeah. pub, or if you went to insure your car, a professional footballer <laughs> might be looking after you. It was very different in those days. Another player that you've wrote a book uh, about, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, Jerry Gow, another Bristol City legend. The Jeff Merrick, just before we leave the Jeff Merrick book, how long did this labour of love uh, take you? It's been published by Pitch as well. Were the other books yeah. published by Pitch, or is this just? Yeah, the, yeah, I've got, I've got. This is my third book with Pitch. The first one I did was uh, a, for Bristol City again, which was called Match of My Life, which was twenty different City players from different eras talking about the one game they remember for whatever reason. Um, the Jerry Gow book was Pitch, and as I say, Jeff Merrick's book, is, uh, which is coming out, is Pitch Publishing as well. Yeah. What was the most iconic game that Bristol City have played in then? What what game stood out for you when you was writing that book about the 20 iconic well, games by those talking, players? It was quite interesting. What I loved about it was the fact that I would have a, a, a thing in my head before I went and met one of the players. And in my head, I'd say, oh, he's going to talk about this particular game. Yeah. And it was kind of something completely different, you know, for whatever reason. So that was, that was quite interesting. I mean, from my point of view and for a lot of the supporters, it will go back to the 19, uh, to the promotion of 75 um, we, when they beat Portsmouth 1-0 because, you know, they were in the big time as it were, the first division. And, you know, for, for a young kid like I was then, that was just absolutely amazing. And I think the whole of the sort of south part of Bristol was at that game. So that would be a massively iconic game for any sort of supporter, particularly my age supporters, yeah. Now, Bristol, you've got two uh, clubs in, in the city. Uh, I know that you probably won't like to mention Rovers, but you, you look at Rovers, you look at City. Is Bristol, because it's a big city, 
is it really punched below their weight over the years? Because, you know, for many people watching football now, particularly the younger fan, they've never seen Bristol City in the top flight. Now, for me, I remember them very well in the 70s. They were a decent team. And, and Rovers weren't bad as well. Yeah, it's it's very true. I mean, I don't. I mean, I think it's great that, that to come from a a city that's got two clubs. I really do, and the banter yeah. is incredible. Rovers a fantastic history of a club in the nineteen fifties. People like Jeff Bradford, great great side. Even going through like with the seventies teams, people like Paul Randall. Um, they've always had they've always had a good side, and the derbies were were incredible things to go and witness. Um, you know, it was that that special thing of whether you, you know, you, if if City won, then people would City fans would get to work a little bit earlier than they they would if they'd have lost that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's if you look at Bristol City now, the infrastructure, the the, the training grounds that that, that they have, and, and everything everything is set up for the Premiership. It's just doing that really difficult bit of putting it on the pitch and. You know, that's something that there's a whole host of clubs that, that are chasing that. Rovers, I mean, to be honest, there has been a demise there. And that is that is quite sad because I think when the two clubs are doing well, you know, it, it, there's a buzz about the city. There yeah. really is. I've always said that about Birmingham. We need a strong Aston Villa because it, mm. it, it makes Birmingham City um, play that, that bit better. It makes Birmingham's yeah. aspirations that much greater. And it's a race to the top, as it was in the 70s and the early 80s, in Birmingham, the second city. And for uh, for too long, it's almost been a, a race to the to the bottom between yeah. the two Birmingham sides. But thankfully, now Villa have got great owners and uh, good times are around the corner. So he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Jerry Gow, how did you get hold of that? Because Jerry Gow is one of those players that I really clearly clearly remember from his time at Bristol City and then of course at Manchester City mm. well Jerry I mean from 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 doing the book M- M- match of my life spoke to a lot of players we would then Jerry's name would always come up he literally was you know is a was a hero here at Bristol City I mean you still get young lads now who wear a Bristol City shirt with Gow written on the back yeah. um, and his heyday here was was the 70s um, I spoke. I knew his son, and I spoke to his son Chris. And Chris said about doing a book, and I was really reluctant to be honest because he was such an he's such an iconic figure here at mm-hmm. Bristol City. I thought, well, if I get this wrong, this is going to be a you know dreadful. Um, and also, although he didn't play, he only played a cut cut of well, I think maybe thirty odd games or whatever, forty games at Manchester City. They loved him just as much, yeah. and. Um, it was it was a big task to take on, but I spoke to probably over fifty players who played with him, and that was from the early days at Bristol City right the way through his career. Manchester City players, the Manchester City lads were fantastic who played in the cup final with him, and then you had people like Steve Perryman. I spoke to so many different people throughout his career, which was fantastic, and that was a massive help to me. It really, really was. Did you talk to Terry Curran? Because I think he's still got three studs in his shin that Jerry left off. <laughs> well, I must admit, there was a tremendous amount of players. Who, <laughs> and that told you everything about Jerry, because it was a different era. Yeah. I spoke to Sammy McElroy, who had a, a, a famous ding-dong with him at, at Ashton Gate, and they both got sent off. But the moment 
I contacted people who knew Sammy and they knew I wanted to do a book for him. He said, he said all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it straight away. Same with Bobby McDonald. Bobby McDonald played Manchester City, played at Coventry and Villa, but he was his teammate at Man City. Bobby was, they said, oh, you'll never get Bobby McDonald because he's very difficult to, to get hold of. Within minutes of me leaving a message, Bobby phoned me up and said, because it's Jerry, right, what do you want to know about him? So that sort of said everything. And as I say, a lot of the players, he, he sort of kicked lumps out of and they kicked lumps out of him. But we, you know, they, they were more than happy to speak. But you also, a lot of people said you have to get across to people what a good player he was. And he was a good player. But again, you know, you look at in the modern game, and I, I do want to touch upon the modern game and, and go back in time to the proper game. Because in the modern game, we get these central defensive midfield players. But, you know, in proper times, when we played proper football, we just had midfield players. You had midfield players that could win the ball. Jerry Gate was a player that could win the ball. But the difference is, they could use it as well. Yeah, absolutely. He was. And it, it was really interesting. The, the things I... The, Steve Perryman told me a fabulous story about Jerry when he said, Keith Burtonshaw said before the cup final, he said, if you look at our midfield... This was the, what, the 81 final. He said, we've got Ozzy Ardulis. He said, we had Ozzy and we had Glenn Oddle in, in the middle. Now, we knew that if we played our game and they allowed us, we'd destroy Man City. Yeah. But Keith said, the trouble is, they've got Jerry Gow in midfield. And that was Jerry's job. And in that first game, to be honest, you know, City should have won it, really. Um, but that was Jerry. They, they all knew what a good player he was. He'd win the ball and then he he did a pass. Or he'd give it to somebody who could hit a pass. Do you know what I mean? He was he was just one of those players. He was iconic. Scottish international as well, wasn't he? He was definitely Scottish. Yeah, Scottish under. He, well, he was. He, he got one cap as a Scottish under twenty three international, right. and and that was it. Never played. But then I looked at I looked at that and thought, Christ, I, you know, I can't really, I can't believe he didn't get a Scotland cap. But I have to say, player. when you look at that side yeah. from so Scotland seventy three seventy four. Wow, they had some midfielders there. They really did. You know, Sooners and Graham Sooners popped up in the book quite a lot because there was a guy, the guy called Tommy Clayton who was the Spurs scout who, who Steve Perryman put me on to. And he was the scout up in Scotland. And he said, we looked at two lads. He said, one was the 16-year-old from Glasgow, was Jerry Gow. The other one was a 16-year-old from Edinburgh, which was Graham Sooners. Wow. He said, and we made the decision to go with Sooners. He said, and then soon as got sort of homesick a bit, and we went back and City had signed Jerry Gow, and he was he was gone. So that that was it. And like I said, they the two of them crossed paths on many occasions with in the, in the book. I would like to see them two go head to head again now, because yeah. they were no shrinking violets, both of them. A Gow versus Sooners challenge, yeah. it would almost be X-rated now. It certainly would, and it's, and it's interesting that players like that and, and when they're teammates, the, the, the constant, you know, sort of phrase that a lot of the City teammates said, he drove us on, yeah. he drove us on. And that's what they say, and, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, you needed a player like that. He said, if you know, many of the lads said, you know, we, we could have been 4-0 down, yet Jerry was still going and going, come on, we can do it, we can do it. You know, that, that sort of stuff. So relentless drive about, about the bloke. They always used to say in the 70s and the 80s, in every successful side, 
there's an horrible Scotsman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, it's, and it's pretty accurate, isn't it? It is pretty accurate, exactly. It is. But it, not it, meant in so... a derogatory manner. No. Meant in a respectful manner because those players were hard, were fair, and were bloody good footballers as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, he had a he had a drive right from from when he was a kid because obviously the locals, you know, Celtic were after him, Rangers were after him, but all he wanted to do was come down to England. Yeah and play play in England and to make it in England. And so that sort of said an awful lot about him, really. So how did Jerry get to Bristol then if Spurs were sniffing around? Where was the connection well, to Bristol City? He had, he had Spurs sniffing around. He had um, Derby County were after him. A lot of the clubs were after him. I spoke to his brother, Willie, up in, up in Scotland. And the reason was Alan Dix and yeah. Tony Collins, who was the legendary sort of scout. Yeah. Tony, at the time, yeah. Tony Collins. Well, Tony watched him, and Alan Dix came up, and what they that what they decided um, when they came up to Scotland to see to see Jerry, the actual Bristol City manager came up as well on 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 Tony's recommendation, and it was from that. And Willie uh, Willie said to me, you know, my mum and dad were so impressed because they knew then that they'd look after him. So, yeah. yeah, when when you look at the clubs that were after him, first division clubs at the time, and obviously the top clubs in Scotland, and he went to a, sec- a sort of low mid-table second division side, you know, uh, and he couldn't have gone any further away. He came down with um, Steve, Steve Ritchie and Tom Ritchie. And, um, yeah, it was... It was amazing, really, that that city got his signature. It is down to personalities, people going out their way, talking to the player and bagging the player. It's the same today as it was back then. And Jerry Gow, what a perfect fit for Bristol City, as was Jeff Merrick. And what's next on the horizon and how can people buy your books the easiest way and route that i always say is just go on to amazon but if you go onto myfootballbooks.com yeah. uh, and he has a fantastic uh, library of books there and a little shop and you can go and buy them from uh, myfootballbooks.com yeah that's exactly right um the amazon well, I've, I've got my my amazon page which is up on there which you can which you can get books and as for um you know the future well i've just sort of different ideas for, for different books and the trouble is it's all very well having an idea but yeah. you've got to convince publishers because if if they don't think uh, they don't think it'll sell then then you you uh you've got nowhere to start really so yeah. at the end of the day I've, I've got a few sort of ideas which i'll 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 do and i'll sort of think about and then uh send them off to uh and have a chat with the publishers and see where where we go from there but um it's been really busy lately with the Jerry Gow and, and Jeff Merritt, but almost sort of back to back. So uh, I'll probably give it a couple of months and then uh, trawl around and see if I can dig out a good story somewhere. And when you're digging out the good stories and when you're thinking about what books that you're going to write, do you listen to Paul Weller as well? How much does the uh, the governor influence you? <laughs> all the, all the time, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he certainly um, he certainly does. Yeah, there's. Uh, there's always a weather track on somewhere, that's for sure. Absolutely. Can I thank you so much for your time? Uh, no, Neil, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Good luck well, with the I next just, book. I, well, I was just going to say, it's you know, it's, it's, it's people like yourself and these sort of 
podcast that you know we we got to take her out off to people like you doing this sort of stuff and me is great from my point of view and it's a, it's an absolute pleasure it really really is well the pleasure is reciprocated and I got that word from Frank Worthington. Frank said that one. Like, what the bloody hell is he going on about? And then looked it up <laughs> in the dictionary. As I do with Paul Weller lyrics, and I look at something, and I think, what does that mean? And and that's the beauty of when you're looking at things, you're looking for books, you're looking in Book Corner. There's so many mm. podcasters that, that are doing great things. There's so many books out there. Pitch Publishing are one of the, the great publishers, as are Legends, as are many mm. others. And uh, congratulations, well done. And thankfully, these people are doing that. Writers are writing books because these people are too good to be forgotten. And there's nothing better than a book to pass it down to read about a legend of yesteryear. Many thanks. Cheers, pal. Right, back to Andy. Right, well, thank you, Neil, and it's back to Andy. Well, uh, fantastic tales of Bristol, and I did say yeah. to, uh, to to uh, to Neil that there are two clubs in Bristol, and I do think that they've <laughs> always punched under their weight because it is a a massive city and uh, what great yeah. knowledge some great books and and all the best for uh, and to Neil going forward let's look at um, another book that's from the 70s because I do like to uh, <clears throat> look at the 70s and harp on about the 70s for me yeah. the, the golden decade uh, yeah. get it on how the 70s oh, yeah. rocks football by John Sperling yeah, uh, I've recently got in contact, I've been in touch with him actually. Um, um, his book comes out next month, or is it in March? It's on one of them, and uh, I'm going to be doing a. I, I pick and choose uh, book reviews I do, uh, which I share on the website, but he contacted me, and I was, uh, yeah, I'm over the moon. I've been more than happy to do a review of that book and look forward to reading it. It's March, actually, it comes out on the 3rd of March. So, yeah, getting on how the 70s rock football. So, uh, 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 and yeah, what a what lies you know I know what what an era that was. So uh, and it's um, I've loved the way it's written in terms of the synopsis, where the way it's, uh, it really gets you going because it says it's set against a backdrop of three day weeks, strikes, political unrest, freezing winters, and glam rock. Getting on tells the intriguing inside story of how commercialism, innovation, racism, and hooliganism rocked the national game in the 1970s. So. It sounds like it's covering all areas of football, not just on the pitch as well as onto the pitch. And yeah, and it obviously you've got the emergence of so many characters, haven't you? Yeah. Obviously in the seventies, the ones we talked about, Brian Clough, and then you got Bob Paisley, Kevin Keegan, um, and then suddenly you had the fall of the likes of George uh, George Best, of course, the, you know after the sixties, etc. Um, but well, yeah, what an era! So that's a fantastic book. Um, looking forward to. There's been a number of books that have come out of the seventies. John Sperling is uh, he's, a, he's written a number of books as well um, previously. So uh, yeah, he's an established author as well. So really look forward to that. Yeah. So uh, and I think he's done a number of interviews as well for think for the book um, that it refers to, uh, such as Evelyn Hugh, um, John McGovern, uh, and and others as well. And it also touches on some of the pioneering. Um, black footballers of the time, such as Cyril Regis, Brandon Baston, and you think about the three degrees, don't you? Yeah, West do. Brom. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously sticks out as well. So, yeah, it was a groundbreaking time, wasn't it, in the 1970s? And, uh, 
as some of the books we saw that come out last year. It was such a, an incredible um, decade in terms of the competition and so many different uh, teams winning the league, etc. You know, the stories are endless, absolutely endless. It, we could do, you could, well, it's, you could do a podcast just on '97 very easily. So, uh, which I know you're doing your number of your uh, podcasts already. Yeah, I absolutely loved yeah. the '70s. It was a a, a decade mm. that I grew up and fell in love with football. And and I just think that the '70s just encapsulates everything that's great within the game of football, it had everything. If you're a football fan, you know, if you're looking at the games now, you get some sterile games. I'm not saying that we didn't have sterile games in them days, yeah. but there was always yeah. some that went on. I mean, even if it was just a punch-up between Francis <laughs> Lee and Norman Hunter, you know, there yeah. was something that went on. Even the referees, was it Roger Kilpatrick? You know, I mean, <laughs> he used yeah. to be so animated, didn't he, with his decisions and... You know, match of the day, there was always something going on. There was always a great goal. There was, and it was just all about the football. And yeah. I, I've never seen, you know, whether it's looking back as a kid and rose tinted spectacles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I just yeah. believe the seventies was the greatest decade. English football teams ran Europe from certainly the mid seventies. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the Dutch. And Bayern Munich, certainly the beginning and to the middle of the 70s. But Liverpool, when they took over in 1977. But English football clubs had always had uh, success in uh, the UEFA Cup and the Fairs Cup yeah. and the yeah. Cup Winners' Cup as well. So, you know, we had not particularly domination, but we certainly had a fair share of our clubs getting to major European yeah. finals during the 70s and there's probably not one year in that 70s decade that we didn't have a football club English or Scottish that wasn't in a major final yeah absolutely yeah and in terms of the English game kind of thing it kicks off with the 71-72 the season which is the book that came out last year and uh, yeah that part of race literally went down to the wire didn't it in terms of what was it two points between the top four yeah, my uh, my favourite my favourite uh, season that was, because yeah. it was the season that I really started to get involved with football. I was what seven, eight, um, yeah. you know, the season after uh, beginning yeah. of that season was the first game that I went down Birmingham City to watch with my dad. I'd been and stood on the Holt end watching England versus Scotland in the May. Brian Little yeah. against Bobby McDonald and Kenny Burns played in that game as well. And, yeah. you know, you're watching Match of the Day. We had the Centenary Cup final. I had the pleasure of Alan Clark's company and Alan taught me through mm. his, his goal and how proud he was because it was the Centenary. So that was the season pretty much that... And I've yeah. said to Dan, and I've done a podcast with Dan Abrams, which which is out there on our SRB Media um, or Spotify, just... just go into the search engine and look for Daniel Abraham's book, 1971-72 season. You yeah. know, and it just had everything, everything, everything. Yeah. It was a great I think, time. I remember seeing a fact of it. was something like there's been seven winners, I think, in the Premier League in the, what, in the 28, 30-odd years. Yeah. Whilst there was, uh, I think there was five different champions in that yeah. 1970s, as well, five Absolutely. different ones. So you had... Uh, well, you had uh, Derby as well, of course, didn't Derby you? You had Leeds, Don Revis Leeds, yeah. that's it. Yeah, Everton exactly. In 1970, Arsenal won the Dublin in 71. You know, we had you also had 
QPR at the end of the 1976 okay. season were top of the league. Then Liverpool and Southampton yeah. Wanderers. So we and we had great teams that were nearly men, which leads me to my my joker, uh, my ace card this uh, this month, and it's a book that's coming out. And given the amount of podcast and time that uh, I spend with my good friend Alan Hudson. Uh, Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal, Stoke, Seattle Sounders, and a couple of England games. I'm yeah. re- I really look at the teams that Alan played for at that period, and I've yeah. really got into Chelsea and Stoke City. And the year yeah. we nearly won the league, Stoke yeah. City, the 1974-75 season by Jonathan Baker. And I know Jonathan has just sent Alan the book and Huddy's read the first chapter already because Huddy is an absolute bookworm, not like me. And I'm hoping to do a (laughs) podcast with uh, Jonathan and we'll certainly do another podcast with Huddy about that season. Although we did touch upon it when we done a game of my life when Stoke City beat Liverpool Easter Monday in 1975 when Wad the God watered the pitch so Huddy could play. And uh, no, it was a great football season for Stoke. I think they were four yeah. points off that league title. They were, yeah. Again, it was another close one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, was Derby County, obviously. They, they won it, didn't they? Um, yeah, and Stoke had beaten yeah. Derby at the baseball ground on yeah. um, the 15th of March because he made his debut for England on the 12th. And on, mm. the, uh, on the Saturday, they played Derby County. I think Al had just about sobered up by the time they played Derby. <laughs> and and they beat them to one thanks to, I think, it was Jimmy Green off Brace. But yeah. again, Derby went on. And Stoke City, unfortunately, they had four broken legs that season, you know. They, Did they, they? Yeah, I right, mean, Terry Conroy missed a huge chunk of that season as well. But, um, yeah. you know, they, they just but, fell short and Derby, yeah. Derby just picked, picked them. Had some greats in the English football. You had your Banks, Hurst, obviously Huddy, Shilton, Shilton as well. Yeah, yeah. Shilton, yeah, Shilton just about come round about that time because Alan always says that he cost us the league. Shilton did. His dad, when they played Wolves, and his dad said, "I think you might just win the league now with him coming on board." (laughs) But Huddy, there was another lad, John Farmer, that was uh, was in goal and. Or he did prefer John Farmer to Peter Shilton, but uh, yeah, Shilton yeah. was about there. And, I mean, um, he was. Yeah, but yeah. Tony, Tony Waterton, of course, he had these. Um, it'd be interesting reading it because he he had some fairly unorthodox kind of methods, didn't he? So, uh, but he was a, certainly a, a man of an eye for talent and flair, wasn't he? And some sensational signing. Waddington liked his inside forward. Mm. He, um, he 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 never really got involved much in the training. He left mm. that to other people. In fact, mm. Al didn't really see much of Waddington during the week. He'd just right. be there on, on match days. He wouldn't say that much. He never told Alan how to play football. I mean, the the only bit of advice that he gives to Alan, he says, Al, you're doing everything right, but just in the wrong order. And, <laughs> and he said, I'll never tell you how to play football because that's why I bought you. And uh, yeah. Hoodie and, and Waddo had such a fantastic relationship and, and Alan will always say that he was like the second father. They were that close. Hudson yeah. was the governor on the pitch and Waddington was the maestro, the brains behind Stoke City and so close they come on a couple of occasions and 
Waddington had been building that team at Stoke City for such a long time, from the Waddington Wall through to Hudson's fantastic maverick pioneers of uh, the, the yeah. glory days, the Elsian days of the old Victoria ground when the boo that yeah. ended was singing Alan Hudson walks on water and Uddy did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He was there for a good, good uh, was it about 17 years? He was there for a good while, wasn't he, yeah, manager? He was, yeah, was there yeah. for a good, yeah, a good period, etc. So uh, I remember the Victoria, I never went to the Victoria ground, I can't remember going to the Victoria ground, but I remember the, uh, well, it was quite an atmosphere, wasn't it? To say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, so uh, certainly not quite um, the same in the Britannia Stadium, I'm sure. But yeah. But, oh no, great! I think actually that season as well. Cause you mentioned Chelsea, obviously. Royal Hudson, they got relegated that season. The season after, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Was it after? Or was it after? Yeah. I can't remember. Well, well that was the season seventy four, seventy five. No, sorry, seventy four, seventy five season was the season they got relegated. 73-74 was, was the yeah, season yeah. that Hudson joined, and that was yeah. the season, 73-74, that Man United got relegated, and the, yeah, the season after that one, Chelsea got relegated, you're absolutely right, I think it's it got nonsense. something to do with putting Chelsea down as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible, you just think of some of these clubs, obviously nowadays, you know, of course, uh, such huge clubs, and uh, they, you know, the fault of Chelsea or Manchester not being relegated, it's incredible, isn't it? Bad management? But, uh, it all, I mean, what I've learned yeah. through the podcast with Alan, it's all about management. Even now when yeah. I'm talking to my, my wife and she'll say something about what's going on at work and I'll just say, it's all yeah. down to management, bad management or good management. And Oddie's absolutely yeah. spot on. These yes. football clubs, it's all down to bad management or good management. And, it, and it's yeah. as simple as that. It's a it simple is. game. Yeah, made complicated, by, made complicated by too many people. You talk about, you'll hear a lot of things about tactics, don't you, etc. Yeah. Uh, tactics obviously contribute to an extent, but uh, football is uh, in the nicest possible way. They need to be told to keep it simple. And that's where, I, I know I keep talking about Brian Clough, and we need to think about Brian Clough kind of thing, how he made it so simple. John McGovern was not the most talented player, and I know I think Terry Curran said that uh, a few times as well, and a few others not the most talented player in that Forest team in the centre of the field, but my God, he, he knew it, it is, what he was told to do was literally give that ball to the fat lad and the wing, of course, uh, and just keep it simple. And my God, it did half work. Everyone knew exactly what they needed to do. Weren't overcomplicated about do this, do that, and the next minute, first 10 minutes, it was just, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's just something to be said for people, managers, yeah, inside and outside of work, like you said, inside outside of football just tell someone simple it works so much easier it goes in then so yeah. I've never known I tactics I, I'm certainly game. like that <laughs> players no, win ta- games yeah yeah exactly players win games and I think yeah. that we get a little bit too excited these days in the modern times about tactics so the manager he tactically he's coached the other manager and he's put you know, the players have done it the players playing well, players passing the ball, using the ball, playing with intelligence. Um, yeah. Who was it? Andro Perlo, I think, yeah. therefore I play. And yes. one of Alan Hudson's yeah. favourite books as well. Oh, brilliant. And he said, yeah. Paul, yeah. I think, therefore I play. And yeah, it's just him. Alan Ball always had a saying, Oddie tells me about it. Ball, he always used to say, those that can play must play. 
And yeah, he's abs- yeah. and he's absolutely right. Yeah. And and Cluffy was saying the same to John McGovern. You can't yeah. play, but yes. you're probably the first name on my team sheet. Win the ball and give it to someone that can play football. That's what yeah. your job is. And you do need all different components in your football team to make a yeah. successful club. Another team that had some tremendous components in mm. the uh, 70s, Sheffield United. Ain't mm. got a barrel full of money. Yes, yeah, it's another one that's coming out um, next month, I believe that is. Yeah. Um, by Jason Hollyhead. So, yeah, it's about John Harris's. Um, John Harris' arrival at Bramall yeah. Lane. He laid the foundations, didn't he, for appearance of some of the great players. Uh, I think it was then they got promoted to the first division. Uh, and then uh, they suddenly went downhill, didn't they? That's I'm trying to remember now yeah, exactly. Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, that, that looks a fascinating. But yeah, ain't no ain't got a barrel of money. I think I'm trying to remember the, uh, um, the wordings from a. Go on, help me out. What's it? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Tom, so, because it's a song, isn't it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the reason why. I'm trying to work out the reason for the name, why it's named that book. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to get on to yeah. Twitter and yeah. Facebook and get hold of Jason and say, Jace, why did yeah. you call it that? I ain't got a barrel full of money. But yeah. I don't think Sheffield United did have a barrel full of money in those days, but they had a barrel full of personality. And um, oh, yeah. Tony Curry and uh, Trevor oh, yeah. Rocky and, and Woody, of course, uh, up yeah. top, um, some tremendous players. And, yeah. and you're right, they, they, got, yeah, they got promoted. They they come within a gnat's whisker in seventy four seventy five of winning the league. In fact, uh, they beat Stoke City at um, at Bramall Lane, mm. and Nanette Uddy said it's the only time I've ever seen Waddington give a bit of like team talk and tactical awareness to uh, to Josh when he said you've got to get hold of that Tony Curry. Because Tony Curry, what a player he was. Oh yes, yeah. I've just read his autobiography. Uh, his <laughs> yeah, autobiography actually. Uh, produced by um, great publishers, Vertical um, Editions, yeah. So uh, titled um, Imperfect Ten, The Man Beyond the Magic. So, uh, yeah. Why, what a why was it imperfect? Because, I mean, I haven't read it. I've got the book, but I did say you cannot call it I Imperfect Ten because Tony Curry <laughs> was the perfect ten. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a play on words kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I think I'll probably leave it to, to, uh, to you, Brady, kind of, but it's... Um, I think, yeah, it's a bit of a play on words, really. Um, and it was written by Andy Pack, wasn't it? 
Andy Pat wrote was, it yeah. to Tony. Tony Definitely wrote all the, yeah. Tony Tony wrote all the words. It's all Tony's words. But what they yeah. do, they work with a a, a journalist that puts it into the format that that comes out in chapters and verses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah. uh, and then the book is published. But all those words are Tony's. I remember interviewing Tony probably eighteen months ago, and he said, "I've got a book coming out." I said, "Hello, all right. hello." I'm here, started breaking up. Tony Curry again, one of my favourite players, another genius, another genius, yeah. and another player yeah, that's so undervalued by England in the seventies. Yeah, it's a good read. Very honest as well, so which is always a good thing. So some, but some autobiographies, whatever reason, when they do an autobiography, they don't tell the whole story, mm. which is always quite frustrating when you're reading someone's last story. But not the case of Tony Curry, I must say. So Gary, Waddock's, Gary Waddock's testimony was a was a good uh, a good listen. Oh yes. Did he write about that in the book? Um... When he had all his kit, kit back nicked. Oi, mate, there's a bag up here. Oh, You're looking for it. I think it's a bell, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's well back now since I read it. So, yeah, Gary Waddock's uh, testimonial. Yeah. He had his England yeah. caps, his England shirts. It was like a, a treasure trove of, of <laughs> all of Tony Curry's medal gongs and stuff and that with uh, with England. And uh, yeah, yeah. They, they broke his broke the window of his car and uh, nicked the bag and must have looked inside and thought, that's a bag of rubbish, and threw it over. Into uh, one of the uh, masonettes, yeah. <laughs> no, excellent. No, but uh, no, he's one of that. But certainly one of the. Um, it'll be part about the new book that's coming out, though, isn't it? So, uh, um, but I ain't got a bar on the money. So I was just looking at it back at it now. So yeah, they. It was within six years. That's it, wasn't it? it was yeah. Within six seasons, they suddenly went. Well, they collapsed, didn't they? Pretty much, right? Yeah, but... down the They're on the brink of going down to the fourth. Division. Yeah, that was. I mean, when uh, CT played them in nineteen seventy nine, the Boxing Day massacre, and then they played them. Yeah. Uh, nineteen eighty uh, Easter after that, uh, Sheffield United when they walked out on Hillsborough Boxing Day seventy nine, they were yeah. top of the league. They I mean, were. within a couple of three seasons, they were almost like they say fourth division. But from that period that they were, I think it was four points off winning the first division in the 74-75 season. I think they finished on the same amount of points as Stoke. I think it was 49, and Derby yeah. won it on 53. The next season, Tony said, I think they only got one point up till Christmas. It was incredible how the wheels yeah. fell off the wagon. It's amazing, isn't it? It's the ups yeah, and downs, except you can have yeah. one season to the next, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, Tell we've seen me. it that way. We've seen it the other way around as well, haven't we? When some teams have had a, such a dreadful season, next season, when the other way, obviously the man the one sticks out in 2016 with Leicester. Yeah. Obviously on the brink of relegation the year after. Well, it's a, yeah, there you go. Tell <laughs> me about the, um, story. The, uh, the title, the story of the first division by Scott Murray. That looks a really uh, appetising book. Yeah, it's one of my recommended reads. Brilliant. Uh, I think um, it's one of these. Uh, he's a good. He's a really good writer. He's quite humorous as well, because uh, he said that's what some folk would tell you that football only started in 1992, <laughs> and of course, uh, well, Sky invented football, didn't they? Of course, it is. So, uh, but yeah, but no, uh, this is um, yeah, it's a brilliant it's a story of the first division. So it goes right back to obviously when. Uh, it started in 1888. Yes, it did. Uh, and it's rich with incredible stories, some some crackers. And uh, one of the stories you, uh, are not so well known as well, actually. Actually, just thinking, when I just mentioned Leicester, there was one that 
and I remember it's including in here, and it's from, if I remember right, I think it's around about the 1927 season it was. Um, I'm just racking my brains. I think it was Sheffield. I think it's Sheffield Wednesday. No? And the season before, I think they just about stayed up from relegation. And then the season after, they actually won it. Mm-hmm. So very, very similar to Leicester. So uh, when they say that Leicester's... And it was great, of course, 2016. was brilliant, you know, but it wasn't that unique. Yeah. It was done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but obviously, that's you know, what, 100 years ago. So, yeah, that's one of the stories that um, sticks out. There's also great reminders of them. Actually, that season, the 27-28 season, is when those famously Dixie Dean scored 60 goals in uh, 39 games. So, what a record. It's never been beaten since. I'm not sure it ever will be. But he scored 60 in that season in 39 games. Uh, just remarkable. Uh, and, uh, well, what a player he was. But it takes you through yeah, some of the characters, etc. Pretty right from the Victoria times. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just a, it's a reminisce and some... You know, for uh, for people who remember that time, just great stories, and obviously taking it right up to the eighties. And you think of well, it reminded of the Michael Thomas goal. It's up for grabs now, yeah. <laughs> of course, at Anfield, which is uh, wow. It's just what a, what an end of the season that was. I know again, you'll talk about the Premier League and Manchester City, and when they did it, that was incredible, the Aguero moment. But oh, Michael Thomas's moments, the fact that they were both going for that. You know, and obviously it was only came in a few weeks, obviously, after the tragedy at Hillsborough, and all the emotion that was around that time. It was an incredible end to the season, wasn't it? And Michael Thomas um, took that in to win it 2 0. But uh, the book itself, yeah, absolutely brilliant, brilliant book. Um, yeah, the title, the story of the First Division, just some the, the array of stories that, um, that are not necessarily well known, etc., covered off. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's lovely, cr- lovely crafted. Is the league table um, in there as well? No, it's not got the league tables in actually. Oh, no, no, it's not got the league tables. It's more of um, uh, it's not like a fact finding it tells you like that. This is what happened that season. Who finished where, etc. It does. It's more of a story, yeah. let's say, and it's like with anecdotes, let's say. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's like more like that. Yeah. It's been like a. Uh, um, yeah, it's like a heartfelt kind of like uh, illuminated story of kind of how yeah it developed over the years and the kind of yeah characters are involved. If that makes sense, as opposed to like a, a Rothman's kind of uh, yeah. book, you know, where they go through season by season. But uh, they're probably good if he had did that. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's not um, anything like that. But uh, brilliant, brilliant book. So uh, again, some great stories. Obviously, the seventies get to mention as well, and uh, the stories that we've talked about. Let's take a trip over the Atlantic Ocean and uh, let's land in the 1970s in America. And we're going to first drop off at um, New York. And a book yeah. that I'm I'm looking at, I've got it in my hand here. Uh, I'm with the Cosmos, the story of Steve Hunt with Ian McCauley, forward oh, by yeah. Adrian Charles. I like playing with Steve because he plays the same as I do. Pele. Well, I mean, what a yeah. I mean, what <laughs> what a team the New York Cosmos were. I've been listening yeah. to a podcast today about the Cosmos, and uh, they were just different characters. They 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 were, they, they were a team of individuals, but moulded into a team. And uh, 
they probably didn't really need any management because they got so <laughs> many great pros playing for them. And when you're looking at Beckenbauer and Pele and yes. Carlos Alberto and and so on and so forth, you'd think that one of those would be the uh, the captain, but, but they, none of them were. And of course, Johan Cruyff did play yeah. for the Cosmos, but he never signed for them. He only played as a guest player. Mm, uh, mm. Did, did Johan? But they, that's how they used to get into uh, Studio 54 nightclub. They used to skip the <laughs> queues, didn't they? You should say, yeah. the Cosmos. And they used to, uh, used to let them in. But yeah. there's a brilliant documentary as well, Once Upon a Lifetime. And it's the story of the New York Cosmos. And, yeah. and two players in particular, if I could pick out from that team, are uh, Giorgio Shinaglia. And there's a great yep. book, Arrivederci, Swansea, the Giorgio Shinaglia story. Our third division reject became a Serie A superstar by Mario Risoli. And Giorgio was just a larger-than-life character that when you look in, I think he was the Italian equivalent of Robin Friday. You know, nice, you heard yeah. of all these yeah. stories and think, well, <laughs> is there anybody to validate them? Well, yes, yeah, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But looking at the character that he was, it's, it is wholly believable that that happened yeah. to uh, Giorgio. And I remember Alan saying to me, shaking hands with Giorgio as captain of Seattle, as Alan was, and Giorgio uh, captain in um, uh, the, the New York Cosmos. He seems like shaking hands with Don Corleone. Was he, was he, did he grow up in Wales? That's that's yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's one that's it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, what a character! I mean, he he, <laughs> he basically had. I mean, nicknamed Long John. Was it something Long Long John? If I remember, was he called that? I'm not. I'm not sure. Again, I haven't read his book. I've got it, but I haven't <laughs> read it. But oh. but um, he had a bit of a bust up in training with Steve Hunt, and it kind of comes to blows. Yeah. it was all handbags and stuff. Well then, Giorgio <laughs> said, "Look, you know, let you know, let's, um, you know, this is ridiculous because they've got to play together as teammates." And he said, "Look, I'm, you know, I'm a bit lazy. I don't run around, but I'm paid <laughs> to score goals. You're paid pretty much to supply me with them. So you do your job, I'll do my job, and we'll get on fine." As yeah. he kind of said, but uh, that was Giorgio Shinaglia. I remember watching that documentary, and he said, "I mean, this is Giorgio's words." He said, "You won't find anybody here that really likes me." And it, it, it was just that kind of character. But I think listening to people, yeah. everybody really, they did love him. But he yeah. was just a character. And, and he was just a self-centred self centered central striker that scored yeah. bags of goals for the Cosmos. Yeah, I love watching the clips from the Cosmos about that time as well. It's yeah. something quite unique about it. You, have it. you can go on YouTube now and I think there's the there's the goal where um, Steve Hunt says, there's a game uh, I... I think it was a final where Steve Hunt definitely scored in the game. 77. And Pele, sorry? 77. Is that it? Yeah. That's, that's the one I'm scored in 77. That's the, that's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. And there's a clip on YouTube and uh, it's just like this because it's under the lights, etc., isn't it? So uh, it's just something quite magical about it. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible time, wasn't it? The North American Soccer League then. So um, it, there's another book I know, I think we've talked about as well, by Ian Blenderleaf which is called Rock and Roll Soccer, yeah. which is about the short uh, life and the fast times, which encapsulates that as well. But, um, yeah, 
great time, wasn't it? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the way they attracted so many stars of the game, pretty incredible, really. Well, it was because I mean, I, I've done quite a few interviews with um, <clears throat> former players, English based players that played at uh, the Seattle Sounders, Adrian Webster being the first one. And I was just listening to me Tommy Ord uh, interview. Uh, sadly, Tommy's passed away now, but he played mm. with and against Pele. He's one of the few players playing America with and, and against the great man. And uh, he was saying that Pele just in 75, when he signed for the Cosmos, he just, everything just changed. But yeah. they they wanted to sign Pele because they knew that he was the greatest player in the world. But the Brazilians, yeah. the Brazilians wouldn't let him go. Because at yeah. that time in Brazil, they weren't letting players go abroad. And it was only Henry Kissinger that went to the Brazilian government and had a chat. And then all of a sudden, uh, Pelly was allowed to go and play for Cosmos. But, yeah. But incredible. And there's another book here. Um, 40, well, it was when it was written. It was the 40th anniversary, but it isn't no longer the 40th anniversary. Of Soccer Bowl 77, Seattle Sounders versus New York Cosmos by oh, my yeah, pal okay. Adrian Webster. And um, it, Adrian goes on talking about the game, all the players yeah. that played for uh, Seattle Sounders as well. And wonderful, wonderful times, some wonderful pictures. And uh, shadowing Pele on a number of occasions, as Adrian did in uh, those great days of the NASL. And yeah. you know, for the younguns that 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 look at Major League Soccer, yeah, okay, it's a little bit different. I'm doing another yeah. podcast with Alan because Alan played out there for uh, for Seattle from the late seventies to the early eighties when it pretty much finished in in Seattle. But, yeah. um, you know, the, the the changes. And when you look at it back then in the olden days, it was an international league. It was oh, everybody yeah. played out there in America. It, it was fantastic. And everything was rock and roll about it in terms of even oh, the names. Yeah. Of, the names that you've got yeah. the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the, like you said, the Portland Strikers. They were the Tampa the Cosmos. Bay. The, the names are brilliant, aren't they, really? The football teams. It's, uh, yeah, not quite like your United, your Rovers, your City, is it? It's uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's just the, yeah, it's the extreme, isn't it? <laughs> well, they were, the, they were the Tampa Bay until Rodney went over there. And then he put the rowdies into Tampa Bay. <laughs> Excellent. But, but yeah, they Brilliant. did you right. And the badges that they had as well. Everything yes. was just different out Extreme. there in America. Yeah, it was. It was just, yeah. I mean, how it never really took off. Well, I, I guess really <clears throat> it, it started petering off or tapering off in the um, 1982. Uh, yeah. Seattle got to the final against the Cosmos. 83, I think, pretty much 84. Bang, that was about it. But I yeah. think it really resulted in America not getting the 86 World Cup finals that went to Mexico. Yeah. And I yeah. think that had yeah. they have got that, then it really would have exploded. But but it yeah. didn't, and it, it kind of faded away. But the MLS now, it's a decent standard, a decent yeah. level. And, yeah, it's certainly picking up. Yeah, it's certainly picking up. They seem to be getting bigger crowds as well whenever I've seen it as well, yeah. don't they? In yeah. that in the the MLS, so uh, I think it's just natural over time. It was always going to get big again. It, you know, it's just, just too big, isn't it? The global game really for, for football and soccer, as they say, of course, not to uh, not to have some form of effect on them. So, 
Uh, great times, great times, certainly that period, yeah. Absolutely. 90 minutes from Europe, Warsaw's greatest cup run by Simon Turner. Ah. That looks juicy. Yes, it does, yeah. What a, what a trick that was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, et cetera. So uh, I actually shared that um, recently on um, on the Twitter, Twitter page because it's, it's really interesting because there's 90 minutes from Europe and, it's a, again, it's a play on the words apparently because uh, it's to do with an advertising campaign. Uh, which something to do along the lines of uh, Super Food British Airways, where it's, you, they're only 90 minutes away from a place in Europe. And it was a campaign, uh, an advertising campaign at the start of that season. And, um, yeah, and obviously the, the run that went on was remarkable, wasn't it? Absolutely remarkable. Uh, and then you got to the semi-finals, wasn't it, against Liverpool? Which, and that's a two-legged affair. Coincidentally, Liverpool are in the semi-finals of the League Cup. As we're speaking now, they're playing Arsenal. They've all recovered yeah. from COVID these days. We didn't have oh, COVID, yes. of course, back in, in Warsaw's day. Yeah, but what an achievement. So that that yeah. does look like a, a fantastic read. As does The it Boy does. on the Shed by Paul Ferris. That looks a, oh. a, a tremendous book as well. Yeah, wonderful book, wonderful book. This is, again, one of these... Um, yeah, Paul Ferris, uh, the... the um, the four was written by uh, Alan Shearer, but uh, he was brought up in um, in uh, Northern Ireland, yeah. uh, and it's just the, the history. It's one of these stories. He was he was hailed because um, he was a tricky winger from Northern Ireland. He was hailed as the new George Best, etc. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a great story in terms of his background. And obviously, he grew up. Uh, it begins because the story begins enjoying the troubles. You know, as a working class. Um, I think it's from the working. I think it was the Catholic family, um, and it was brought. Up, I think it was brought up in a Protestant town. I think it was Lisbon, near Belfast. Um, so it's just a great, great story. It's one of these. It's a, it's a completely different kind of autobiography. One of those out of the norm, you know, because he's not obviously a famous footballer at all. I think mean, I think he later, yeah, he went later went on to be a physio uh, and a part of a member a member of the Mad, um, Newcastle managerial team. Um, but yeah, he was talented, carefree, and he was, he was quite shy off it as well. But uh, it's a great written story, a great story, quite a dark humour as well. But it's uh, really good. It's very much like one of his, like a, a life less ordinary kind of. It's an incredible life story. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm guessing every Northern Ireland player that comes over is always going to be <laughs> likened or linked or you know compared to the great George Best, but. You know, there's nobody comparable to George Best, and and George no. was uh, a Glen Torren fan and a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, and there's a book out, uh, the biography of um, of Peter Broadbent, which looks a great read. Ron Atkinson told me all about Peter. I didn't know how fantastic Peter Broadbent was because, you know, sadly he passed away, and he was yeah. playing in the fifties for Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I wasn't even born in those days, but Ron said, hey. Hey, because he does this run. Hey, let me tell you, <laughs> picking his all-time West Midlands eleven, Peter Broadbent, what a player! So I bought his book again. I haven't read it, but I've looked at bits of clips on on YouTube. Okay. And in George Best's autobiography, George uh, says that um, his other love was uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers because he used to watch him in Belfast in the fifties. Mm. Yeah, that's and, it. I remember when we talking about Ernie's autobiography and his um, blessed, wasn't it? So. Which is one of the well, that was one of my very first autobiographies I remember reading, mm-hmm. actually. So brilliant read that one. And he talked about that, didn't he? Because it was on the black and white telly. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And George, George was the Protestant, wasn't he? Um, yeah. And the, the team that he followed in in Northern Ireland was Glentoran. Yes. But yes, they, they were they were the Catholic team. Linfield is yeah. the Protestant team. But it's the fact that his granddad, granddad best, lived next door to the Glen's ground, so they used to go and watch Glentoran. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Wolverhampton Wanderers and. Uh, so Peter Broadbent, what a player! So if you get the chance to have a look at that book or have a look at the YouTube clips, what there is out there of Peter, what a player he must be. Sir Alex Ferguson also references him as one of his uh, former idols as well. So <laughs> that's that's a great recommendation from George Best and uh, Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. There's another one coming out, uh, a guy that's obviously from the area as well, so coming out next um, month or it may be March. It's Sammy McElroy, um, yes. his daughter by the name called The Last Busby Babe. I think it's, re- it's written with um, Wayne Barton, so Wayne Barton's a prolific writer. Uh, he's one of the of around Manchester United players, teams, etc. He's on books on from all of them, from Beckham to, I think he's got one coming out with Rooney as well. So I think Teenage Kicks, I think it is, I think it's called. Mm. But yeah, Sammy McElroy, obviously, he's from, uh, from Northern Ireland as well, isn't he? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that one's coming out. I think he so, scored in his first four games, didn't he, for United, 17 yeah. years old. Yeah. And he almost died as well, so, uh, did Sammy. He got involved in a, um, a car, there was a car crash, uh, mm. him, him and his girlfriend at the time. They were, yeah. going, they were going for fish and chips, and uh, he was it was touch and go whether Sammy was going to survive it. So that will be a tremendous read, and again another player that was compared to George Best. But Sammy yeah. was a great player, and Sammy was at um, at Stoke City. Uh, he was in, as well in after the, that. Yeah, yeah. early eighties with Uddy. and yeah. uh, Sammy said to to Al when Al took over the first training session, he said, "Thank God, thank God you're here. We can start to play a little bit of football." <laughs> but but he said, Sammy, what a great lad, what a great player. Super Sam. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So that's going to be another book that I shall be be getting. And you're right, uh, Wayne's wrote so many of those United books, a, a prolific writer, as is uh, Roy Cavanna, my uh, my mate mm. Roy Cavanna, that writes with uh, Colin Abbott, some fantastic uh, books on Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you another uh, uh, writer as well as a guy, um, one I wanted to mention, I put on my recommended reads um, this this um, this month on the newsletter is Duncan Hamilton. Yes. And his book, the one that sticks out, is Provided You Don't Kiss Me, yeah. 20 Years with Brian Clough. And uh, I don't know, if, there's something, if you take anywhere away from listening to this podcast, go and buy that book, go and read that book. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, for Brian Clough, anyway, anything um, written about him is incredible. The fact that this book, though, um, is because he was obviously with him for for the period of all the ups and downs, etc. It's incredible insight into him, and his writing about it is incredible as well. Uh, and um, you know, it's, some of it's really quite sad when he's going into his alcoholism, mm-hmm. you know, towards the the end, etc. It's quite dark humour as well, though. There's parts of it's quite humorous as well. It's a uh, it's a fascinating portrait of his, his career. And uh, there's a bit actually at the back of the book, which I'm going to pick out, which I think sums it up in many ways. He uh, says here, um, first, uh, Brian's personality, his charm, his generosity, his eloquence, his eccentric street. It was like a gravitational field. Um, the pull was too too much to resist. 
Uh, if you ever experienced these unpleasant moments in this, you had his, you had a temper, the occasional insensitivity, the sad, angry consequences of his drinking, he tolerated, ignored, and merely forgiven because of his genius. And he put this line I love, he says, working with Brian was like playing with lighted matches in a firework factory. <laughs> it was just, uh, yeah, it's explosive. Uh, but watching him, you know, and it's just, it brings it to life. Brian Clough is just one of them, isn't it? And but this is, yeah, it's one of my definite all-time favourites. So, uh, and John Motson, who's gone on the front, one of the best football books I've ever read. So, uh, yeah, great book. Um, just the whole, the, the whole, um, from the highs and lows from the European Cup triumph front to those sad days at the end as well. And uh, I definitely, like for example, Hills would definitely have an effect on him. Um, and one way I know, I know he said some things that were a bit infounded in terms of uh, what, at the time, not understanding exactly what happened, you know, that day, etc. But, uh, but no, cracking, cracking book, really good book. So yeah, I recommend that. There's not enough Great books author. about Brian Clough. I've got quite a few of them. You can't beat <laughs> a Brian a Clough story, isn't there? Yeah, you can't, yeah. The great Jonathan Wilson's Jonathan Wilson's got another one, great one as well. He's yeah, done he a has. biography as well. So Nobody yeah, says book. thank you, isn't it? That's it, yeah. Nobody ever says thank you. Great book. Great cover actually. Yeah. It's, it's got him with uh, cigarettes in there, black and white. I've read <laughs> so, the first yeah. couple of pages of that, by the way. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good start. A few pages of different. It's a really big book as well. That is, it's a fantastic it book. Uh, Alan yeah. Inton, one of the players that played for uh, for for Brian in yeah. the, the Derby Triumph days, and he's got a book out, Triumph and Tragedy, the uh, Alan Inton story. And Alan went over into uh, management in in America, and um, yeah. Tulsa, I think he, he started his managerial career if memory serves me right and then went on to manage Seattle Sounders Excellent yeah he was involved with football for a hell of a long time wasn't he so, what, uh, what a winger he was as well by the way Yeah uh, at Derby yeah the baseball grounds I mean there was him and Alan Ball that wore the white boots didn't they Yes that's it yeah famous for it wasn't he so yeah, uh, yeah. I've not seen that I've seen that I've seen that it came out fairly, I think it came out last year didn't it yes, Time for did yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not no, I'm yet. not seeing anything really that's promoted it. I don't know who's published it. I, I tried to have a look the other day, but there wasn't yeah. that much information. And I thought, mm, yeah, you know, I think it might have been a like a local. There's a lot of uh, great as well, great uh, local um, yeah. publishers. Uh, you know, um, smaller publishing companies. It probably came out from them, but yeah. No, fascinating story, I'm sure. So, um, uh, yeah, and again, he, he went to, like you said, over to America as well, didn't he? Yeah. So um, it was in that. I just think, I think of the book that I've just read um, very recently, the Mackay, Mackay, um, Dave Mackay. Um, Dave Mackay, yeah, yeah. I forgot his first name for a second then. Yeah, Football's Brave Art, Dave Mackay. So it's a extraordinary story as well, written by Mike Donovan, uh, the authorised biography. And what, wow, what a man he was. What a career. Mm. And uh, yeah, so uh, but he, he he played alongside, didn't he, um, Alan Linton, um yeah, for a period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both Absolutely. played in that Derby team. He, he broke both his legs, didn't he, uh, Dave McCoy? Yes, yeah, he's quite a character, wasn't he? Oh, so, hard, as, hard as nails, wasn't he, McCoy? Yeah. I mean, there's that lovely picture that you you, you can Google it. Um, it's a verb almost now, isn't it, Google? <laughs> it's a search engine yeah. and a boob. Just Google it. 
There's a picture of uh, Dave McKay when he's picking up Billy Bremner. Uh, yeah, that's it. He's got him. Yeah, he's got him on the shirt, hasn't he? He played at Swindon at the end of his career. I think he played yeah. in the game that Alan Ball made his debut for Arsenal, if memory serves me right. Yeah, and managed Nottingham Forest as well as Derby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he also he managed quite a few little clubs. Yeah, he was also for a period at Walsall we've mentioned earlier on. Yeah, he managed my little club as well, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, he did that. And then he, he, um, so I'm now coming back to remind myself because he then went over to Qatar. Uh, I think it's Kuwait. Yeah, he did. Kuwait, he went quite, yeah. I think, actually, I think he went from Warsaw to Kuwait, and then he went to somewhere else, Al Shahab, I think, something like that. Yeah. Then he went to Doncaster. Then I think it was Birmingham after that. I'm trying to remember. I then he think he went back abroad again over to Qatar. It's like incredible. Well, you would do, wouldn't you, really, like, if you managed Birmingham? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then back over to Qatar, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, quite a life story. Absolutely brilliant book as well. So, as I'm sure Alan Hinton's book is as well. So, yeah, I'll have to dig that one out, definitely. Dr. Dr. Socrates. I'll give that book a plug on uh, the current view this month. What a player, what a man. And more than just a footballer, he was like a parliamentarian playing football, wasn't he? Yeah, and smoked was. like a trooper and, and drunk like drunk. Well, he used to drink and smoke an awful lot. I mean, he he wasn't your average football player, was he? Let's say, Socrates. <laughs> no, I think the subtitle of our book sums it up. It says yeah. footballer, philosopher, yeah. legend. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Drinker, so. smoker, you know, yeah. every everything. I mean, everything that you really want a football player to be, don't you know? Then they go. Yeah. Well, you, you shouldn't yeah. drink, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. You want to look after yourself and your diet and you can run around and you can compete yeah. in the modern game. Put Socrates on any pitch today, he'd be running the game. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I always think of Grincher as well, kind of thing, for some reason, when I think of Socrates as well. Obviously, yeah. it's similar. Yeah. I kind of like it. It really matter, did it? So, uh, just, uh, yeah, brilliant football. But that's, uh, that's a stunning uh, biography, that one, by Andrew Dowdy. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Socrates, yeah. What a... Off the pitch, um, as well as on the pitch. So, Scottish journalist yeah, that he lives in Brazil, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And uh, obviously, um, Socrates played. Oh, I forget now where he Garfield. did play. Played, that's it, Garforth. Garforth. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that's it for a short time. Yeah, so, about uh, eleven minutes, I think. <laughs> about eleven minutes. Yeah, I was going to see you beat me to it. Yeah, it was that short time. You need to lose it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's only been very few minutes. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Andrew Dowdy. Yeah, it was a lad that done the futsal, wasn't it? That um, whose name <laughs> escapes me, but he was he got something to do with Garforth, and he, he brought Socrates over. But you know, just the fact that Socrates, even if Socrates was standing there and watching the game, it would yeah. attract an immense crowd, wouldn't he? Because he's such yeah. a legend, and that 1982 Brazilian team, them alongside yeah. the Dutch in my lifetime, the greatest teams not to achieve um, World Cup winner status but winners in my opinion and two teams that I will always remember and some of the winners I've, I've forgotten yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, Zeppelin, the 1982 Brazil. You look back at the, some of the clips, he glides over oh, the pitch, doesn't he? Socrates, you know, that one goal where he's oh, just a sublime kind of thing. So he's got that kind of languid kind of yeah. 
very in control of himself. I think is the way I put it, isn't he? He's very in control of his. Who they he is. just didn't do <laughs> tactics. They didn't. Do, they didn't give a shit, did they? They went out and played <laughs> football. They played to the samba beat, and that's what yeah. we want from football teams. That's what makes us turn up, pay our money, or tune in and watch them because we know that they are the producers of magic. Where other teams just turn up and yeah. play football and and um, make us rather bored and turn off. But that Brazilian, <laughs> that Brazilian team were just different class. They were they were they fantastic. Were. And if they really had a, a central striker that could score goals, they probably would have won it. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. With Sergio, yeah. wasn't it? If memory serves me yeah, right, in that that's World it. Cup. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he was the weakest player, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a big lump up front, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but um, yeah, he still got he still he still scored, scored a couple of things there, of course, in that tournament. But uh, yeah, well, to be yeah, honest, again, I think if you and I would be up front for Brazil, we'd probably <laughs> yeah. scored. We got the likes of Zico and what have you providing you. Yeah, exactly. I know, absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? So and again, it's one of those classic stories that no one really remembers the winners. Um, in fact, in that yeah. book. But I said at the very outset of this um, goal, where well, it's the portrait of the interviews before the um, the goal scores from the FA, uh, FIFA World Cup. Yeah. There's an interview here with Tardelli, who scores that winner yeah. in the final. Yeah. But whenever you, obviously you remember his celebration, if you remember his celebration. Absolutely, he talk, talk, Yeah, that's it. He talks about it in here. Uh, it's quite interesting. I'm just coming back to that, actually. Um, let me just get it here. Uh, he actually talks about that because he, he almost had a panic attack because he was that so uh, involved when um, this is it. He says, I was so tired when I went back to the centre circle, I had trouble breathing. And he made the sign of a cross because he, um, cause he said some things that were not very nice to himself, <laughs> said some things out loud, etc. But he almost had a panic attack. He, he celebrated that much. I think he thought he was on the brink of, um, yeah, <laughs> of uh, collapsing at uh, quite the wrong time, just after such a moment. But, but yeah, you think of Tardelli kind of bit. Otherwise, you think Brazil almost, uh, you think Brazil won that because uh, almost you think about them, didn't you, in 1982 World Cup? So I think about Batistone Batist and Schumacher as well in that World Cup because that that was the World Cup where uh, Schumacher come off his line and absolutely decapitated yeah. him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely great. No, great stories. Yeah, French were great celebration as well in them in that eighty-two. They would. I think the French and the Brazilians. That would have been the final. France versus Brazil for me. Yeah, and never made it, did they? No, to Germany, wasn't it? In exactly. the final, Italy, Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible, really, isn't it? In mm. the in the in the Bernabeu at Madrid, obviously where the final was played. Yeah. So, what else re- have rem- you got for us, sir? Well, we're reminiscing further back. So yeah. coming out in this uh, this month in January, there's been a couple of books that's already come out, but I think we touched on it last time. I'm looking forward to the book coming out. Um, it's the Monday. It's coming out next week. Uh, it's the Eddie Hapgood uh, football. It's really it looks yeah. a really extraordinary kind of story because it's written by daughter. Uh, yeah, his daughter Lynn Lynn Hapgood, which gives it an interesting aspects but when I did a bit of research into his life kind of thing it's such a well an incredible backstory really because he started I think he left school and he worked as a milkman uh, and then I think he was offered um, I did notes down here he was offered about eight pounds a week to go and sign for I think it might have been Bristol Rovers but he turned it down so he went to sign for Kettering Town 
they only offered him half, four pound a week, but he could carry on being a milkman. Yeah. <laughs> so he could carry yeah. on. And then it was the great Herbert Chapman that signed him uh, for, a, uh, for a small fee. And uh, yeah, and he went on to have an incredible career at Arsenal. But there's some fascinating stories. I'm looking forward to reading into it because he represented England uh, when England did the infamous trip uh, of Europe where they played in Germany in yeah. uh, May 1938. And it's when um, Hitler uh, got the England team mm. uh, to do the Nazi salute. There was a famous photo there. And uh, Eddie Hepgood, I'm, I'm, there's a bit I was reading, he was very much, let's say, he was quite a respectable kind of guy, but he made it very clear to the official that came into the changing room before the game to say that you need to do the Nazi salute. He says, yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm. <laughs> he says, uh, you could put that where the pink sun don't shine when he was talking about his finger. But eventually, um, they did have to do it because I think uh, Sir Neville Chamberlain, he was the yeah. British ambassador involved at the time, and got them to uh, into yeah, they had to do the salute, etc. But you know, it was just that's just part. He was involved in that, and yeah, it was quite a, um, a figure really uh, in the public as well. So yeah, yeah, cracking book. I'm looking forward to that one. So. Uh, Again, just a, num- a name that I'd not, certainly not known of, but I'd vaguely heard of the name from the, the yeah from the 1930s, etc. So, uh, but yeah, it'd be fascinating. And the fact is, like to my daughter, Gabby, sounds uh, yeah fascinating stuff. And this is the thing so, that you know, mm. people writing books, it brings the player back to life if they're passed yeah. away, and we can yeah. read about you know players that done magnificent things in the. 40s, the 30s, you know, the yeah. 20s, the turn of the century. Because as you alluded to earlier, it, it wasn't Sky that invented football in 92. We did play football before 1992. <laughs> but you wouldn't yeah. think so if you was listening to the commentators these days or the different various um, TV shows and Sky, yeah. when they are rerunning anything, they will never go back before 1992 so it, it, it always makes me cringe uh, yeah I think it might have been in the story of the first even the book I was talking about earlier I'm trying to think which book it was but it made a great point when I hate when they say on Sky that he's the you know someone's just breaking the, the record for the most goals scored in Premier League history yeah. or um, I don't know it was the most successful team in Premier League history as if football started 30 years ago so, uh, but it's, mm. it's, yeah, it's the pathetic, downside, it? isn't it? It's right. pathetic. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it started off well. It started for the right reasons, didn't it? Because football was in a bit of a bad state, let's say, after, um, yeah, but when Rupert Murdoch and all that got involved, it took it on a slippery soap and money's just taken over, hasn't it? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So don't get me started. It's just uh, when you watch Sky, it's like even watching the FA Cup. It was nice to see um, Sky not being involved in some way. Yeah. And the weekend just gone, but, mm. uh, even then, so um, yeah. I mean, I it's do changed. like I do like Sky. I think they've done some great things for football, but I think yeah. there's all, always that that they do think that they invented the game, and I would love them to see more, uh, produce more historic contents in their programmes because yes. you know they should never forget where football was started. Exactly, and, and they are the broadcasters that that could. I mean, BT, for instance, do a a hell of a lot of uh, documentaries in football of players of yesteryear. Beaters yeah. do go back historically and do documentaries, but Sky tend to just stick in the 
1992 onwards. But you know, yeah, they do well to follow the ITV. The ITV four they did a big match revisited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they, Sky would do well to do something like that because yeah, that's brilliant when you watch that back. They it's do brilliant. revisit games. It's from 1992 onwards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Yes, I know, I know exactly. So, so uh, I don't think that leopard is ever going to change its spots, but there you go, we can live in hope. Yeah. And the next book I'll talk about, actually coming out there again this month, uh, is it's called Rise Together, and it's about Coventry City under Mark yeah. Robbins. Uh, and it's kind of a link a little bit to what we're talking about, because they really did sink to the levels. They had that great time Ooh, yeah. in the heyday in 1987, which is a... FA Cup final sticks out for me as a memory as a child. Definitely as much um, when it was a it was an all day event was in the FA Cup final day. But that that final was incredible, wasn't it? I think Keith Alton, yeah, 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 Keith Alton diving header, mm. which is incredible. It wasn't the winning goal, was it? I think it was. Can't remember for money. Yeah, I think it made it two one. I think it was. It was three uh, two at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, three two yeah. in the end. Yeah, covered you won it. But uh, so we had that there, and then uh, the decades uh, after it, we had a churn of managers. And obviously then moved out of Highfield Road, uh, which was a bit of a, uh, not the most glorious looking of stadiums, but a bit similar to baseball ground, but an incredible kind of, yeah, warmth to it, etc. And obviously they moved to the Rico Arena and they went through all the, yeah, the troubles they've gone through. But this book talks about any backed by the fan base, desperate for success. He took over in 2017, Mark Robbins, and now look at him, they've, they've done... Well, haven't they? They, uh, they got victory in the 2018 League Two final, then the League One title in 2020, and now they're doing two. I can't think exactly where they are in the Championship, but I don't think they're doing too bad, are they? I'd so, say uh, off the top of my head, that eight. Yeah. They, they were they were in the playoff places. They've just fallen off of of late. They've had a couple yeah. of bad results, but what a job Mark Robbins has done. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, 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 probably, he's a manager that's won, won more games at St Andrews than any other manager in recent history. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's, it looks really good. Written by a guy called Adam Sloman, who's a long-suffering, long-suffering Coventry City supporter. So, uh, uh, what, what interesting thing, I was reading this, but it's interesting when they talk about the, about the author. His yeah. first book was The History of the Peugeot 205. Blimey. And I was thinking, I was thinking, is that, is that, um, I, I was thinking, is this some kind of an interesting title, you know, for a football player or something no, like a football a book? But I looked, it is actually the history of the Peugeot 205, <laughs> the complete history. You know, yeah. he's not missed anything out. He's done the, the complete history of the production from 1983 to 1999. And what was interesting, I looked at the front cover. It's actually a picture of my first ever car. Oh, really? <laughs> I never realised it was a Peugeot 205 until I saw the picture and reminded me. So anyway, I'm going slightly off the script, but uh, that was his first ever book. So uh, uh, maybe I should buy that book as well, but there you go. So that'd be interesting to look out for um, next month. And uh, there's a yeah, there's a number of others. So obviously straight into the year, um, there's looks quite interesting, um, such as there's one about the O'Leary years. So David O'Leary... Um, the Leeds United team uh, of recent years, the boom and bust. So obviously they got to that success, didn't they? Yeah. They reached the semi-finals of the European Cup, but uh, all quickly went downhill after that. So uh, after Richard a few Dale years, was the chairman, wasn't he? In them days. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, so, they, uh, didn't they pay about yeah. three grand for a goldfish or something ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, there's some incredible things, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I think it all a bit. Uh, it was a roller coaster. 
Uh, if the journey lasted, it says here, for four seasons, each one a roller coaster. Uh, and it's told through the memories and of a match reports from the author who travelled the country with his dad around that time. So it's an interesting, an interesting read, certainly for Leeds supporters as well. So, uh, um, but yeah, yeah, there's a few books that's coming out. And then going into the, into the year, um, there's lots of books we've already touched on, Get on, Get It On, etc. Um, and Sammy McElroy's book, and uh, a few about the FA Cup as well that's coming out. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting time. Definitely, it's coming up. Oh, Leeds United. Mm. I I remember them being on trial, not the football club, but Woodgate and Boya. They had yes. a, a, a trouble, didn't they, with, uh, with they an did. Asian lad. Now, do you reckon that had something to do with the downfall of Leeds as much as other things? Because... Everything seemed to be going great, and then all of a sudden, the wheels did fall off that wagon. And whether it yeah. coincided with with that time, I can't remember. But I do remember that those pair of uh, them, them two players were on trial, and it must have been yeah. a hell of a time. Yeah. No, yeah, I think you probably. I think it's probably a combination of that as well. Because mm-hmm. that's some incredible players, didn't they? Jonathan yeah, Walgate, Lee Bowyer. Harry Kill, yeah, yeah, Ian Hart, Danny Mills, I remember actually. I think he signed for big figure. I think he came from Mm -hmm. Charlton, I remember. So, uh, so they had quite a good team in the near that time. But I think probably, I think it was if I remember, I think it was certainly they spent a lot of money around that time, didn't they? I think they got into a lot of debt. I think they pretty much remortgaged the future, didn't they? On (laughs) on getting into the Champions League, and and it just fell short at the end. And and of course, if you're using your budget from seasons in the future and you don't deliver then you're yeah. in trouble and I think that, that, that an amalgam of a different uh, yeah. factors resulted in Liverpool I'm watching Liverpool there with the, with the same day, <laughs> uh, Leeds United's demise but yeah it looks as though it's going to be a, a good book he went and managed yeah. other, didn't he after David O'Leary the yeah. one thing that I remember of David O'Leary, I don't know if he, he, he used to say the same at Leeds United, but he was always moaning that he got a small squad Aston Villa. <laughs> yeah, did he? Did he? Yeah. yeah, always, yeah. Got a small squad. But you never heard of O'Leary, really, after the uh, that Villa. No, I don't. No. It, can't, it, can't, it, can't be that, it can't be that old, I would have no. thought. Probably, sort of, probably early 60s, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. about that. So, uh, some managers, yeah. they have that at Leeds, and... Then it, you know, they go to Villa yeah. and have a reasonable time at Villa, and then bang, you you, you just don't hear them, hear them yeah, again. Yeah, just gone. Yeah. I think there were, there's another book. Just a segue into that is that talking about Leeds is that it comes out in March. It's about um, well, they've transformed it under Mark, Marcello Bielsa. Um, okay, the yeah. book coming out, the foundation of success at Leeds United. So uh, it's it's written by. His uh, interpreter, a gentleman called, I'm assuming it's a gentleman, sorry, Salim Lamrini. So uh, it was his right hand man in his first season of charge at Leeds United. So, Might be better one um, you on. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Things are going at Leeds. I know, yeah. But uh, well, what he's done to get them where they are, though, is yeah. pretty incredible, isn't it? So, uh, and uh, well, they are very much, um, yeah. Uh, How long yeah, do you get in the Premier League these days? I mean, you look at Nuno. Nuno had a dream. That was another book, wasn't it? And that yeah. dream ended up being a nightmare. And 
then he yeah. moved to Tottenham and will Nuno get another job in British football? Who knows? It's it you know, again fine mar- fine margins. It says absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so well, you have Newcastle well, United Newcastle United will come down and, and they'll go back up with all these millions of money they've got isn't it well, the way football is nowadays so <laughs> well, you, look, you look at 25 million for Chris Wood if Steve Bruce would have done that they'd have been going Barney uh, yeah Bruce out but you know football is just a crazy game what other books have uh, have you got for us have you got any more recommendations with books coming out this year uh, yeah, so um, there's um, well, there's one that um, I've read recently called uh, More Than a Game, and this is um, it's written by a guy called Mark Gregory. Uh, he's, a, he's a Stoke City fan, a lifelong Stoke City fan. Uh, he's an economist for Ernst Young, the okay. chief economist, and it's quite an interesting. It's an interesting book where he basically talks because it's kind of linked to what we're talking about the Premier League, but he talks about. Uh, it takes a top to bottom look at the England's national game from one of the UK's leading business economists uh, and just talk about the money in football, etc., and how, um, how it's run. And some of the interesting facts that come out of it, it's just just talking a little bit about, about the Premier League, is that did you, prior to the Premier League, 50% of TV income, so half mm. of TV income, were used to shared across the whole of the football pyramid. Absolutely. Today... Today it's less than fifteen percent. Yeah, no. Less than fifteen percent, one five. So I don't know what the right level is, but well, it's incredible <laughs> turnaround, isn't it? Well, this so, is what uh, happened with the Premier League so, when they broke away from yeah. the Football League because they wanted the lion's share of the TV money. They're just a yeah. greedy load of bastards. And then yeah, when um, they when they have this Super League that come about, the Premier League were jumping up and down saying. That's immoral. You've <laughs> yeah, you've took the words right on my mouth because he says here it's, it's more than a surprise that it, it took so long for that to come up. Actually, Project Big Picture, wasn't it? Yeah. In European Super League, because there's so much focus now on um, uh, well, the prioritise the foreign markets, don't they? The domestic, yeah. Yeah. certainly in terms of team, they're more interested about the people watching it in Thailand and etc. than they are the ones that's watching it in the stands at Old Trafford, mm. etc. And, and I'm amazed, really, still now, and the people have even forgot. It's only just a year, it's, uh, last year or the year before, at least, track with COVID. But um, there was the uproar, you know, with Manchester United, Liverpool and Arsenal, Chelsea. We've kind of forgiven them, and we've just moved on, haven't we? But mm. it, 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 they've just got away with it, haven't they? So I'm sure it'll come back round again. But this book, yeah, because it um, it's really uh, easy to read as well, being a... A colonist, I thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of a tricky read, etc. For me, well, something nice and easy, but it's not. It's really easy read, and it's really interesting, and just talks about um, the fantastic work like the, the Football Supporters Association does, yeah. which um, my football books is a is a member of. Um, but even the games, they're the game's largest stakeholder group, but they have no say in the running of football. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, the fan-led review of governance. I don't know what's ever happened since that. If you remember, it was even talked about in the Houses of Parliament, wasn't it, when the euphoria about the Euro- um, Super League happens? But uh, I've not heard anything really since. So, uh, But it's a really good book, and it's just talking about really how football can save itself, really. You know, they talk, they talk about the model uh, in Germany where um, you've got a certain sense that the fans own the club, don't they? Yeah. And it seems to have worked there, kind of thing. But... Something will have to change, I think, at some point. Um, but uh, before it's... Well, I don't know. It's just, it's just going down a slippery slope 
in many ways. I still, you might sound, it might sound like I don't enjoy the football. I do enjoy watching the football, etc. But there's some things that just uh, rub against it, don't it? Um, uh, the way things are going. Uh, but there's that book, and one that's uh, just come out very recently. One I'll mention is uh, "Show Me the Way to Plough Lane," yeah, um, which is written by Gary Jordan. Uh, really good um, author. I read his, his first, I think it's his first book, was on about the 1982, going back to that, the England team, um, which was a great book, Out of the Shadows, um, which oh. which reminds me, actually, because you often forget in that 1982 book, England, it's incredible, really, when you think about it, they never lost the game. in that no. tournament. Never lost <laughs> the game. The game. Drew nil nil against Spain last game, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. So, uh but that was a really good book, Out of the Shadows, and it talks about the... Because it was Ron Greenwood, of course, wasn't it? The manager. Uh, and how it was gradually turning after a little bit of it. You know, the England team weren't exactly pulled up trees, were they, for the years before, and, and obviously 1986 and etc. But this is the book. He's, a, he's very much a Wimbledon fan, and this is Show Me The Way To Plan Lane. It's the ultimate story of football fan power. So it's about how Wimbledon reclaimed the football club and came back into the heart of the community. So uh, when you think of Wimbledon, what a incredible story that was, you know, in terms of the, the late 70s, they were playing um, non-league football. Uh, and then within 10 years, they were beating Liverpool in the 1988 Cup final. Incredible, really, over such a short period. And obviously we all know what happened. Um where they then up to, moved up to Milton Keynes, etc. So this book is about uh, yeah, how they the uh, the community got together. Obviously, the AFC Wimbledon now and have now since moved back. They actually the grounds you probably know this, but the ground I think it's about 250 yards from where Fowler Lane is originally. It's now on the site of where the Wimbledon Ground Stadium is, the the new stadium they've got there, which looks a fabulous little stadium. I think it's about just under 10,000. So. Uh, but yeah, it's quite an emotive book because um, uh, of the story, etc. Reclaiming your, you know, I think it's one of these. It's very much take because it back to for a lot of people. Football means so much more, doesn't it? And it is the community. And this is what this book is very much about: how the fans took back control, really, uh, from absence of almost thirty years, etc. And got back to Plough Lane. So yeah, a remarkable story. So um, certainly one not just for women and fans, but football uh, fans in general, really. So, uh, yeah, um, that's one that I haven't started yet, but I look forward to reading it, definitely. And going back to uh, England in the previous decade, had, yeah. we had, had we had decent management and managers mm. played the better players, <clears throat> then England would have progressed and 82 would have uh, would have been a tournament that we would have been going into possibly yeah. as world champions rather than the first tournament that we qualified since... Uh, <laughs> 1970. Well, no, yeah. we had, it was the first time England had ever qualified, wasn't it? 66, yeah. of course, we won it. Played it over. Of course. 70, yeah. we were the uh, we, we were the uh, the holders. The holders. Before yeah. um, 60, uh, what's it? 62, Chile. We were out there in Chile. We, yeah. So we would have qualified for the Chile, but I think that was through the home internationals, wasn't it? I don't think we had World Cup qualification groups like we do these days. It was um, largely through the home internationals. If you won the home internationals, you qualified for the World Cup. And at 58, of course, um, in Sweden, um, yeah. England, England were yeah. there as we were in 50. Did we qualify in 54? Uh, Bella Horizonte. 
can't recall. No. <laughs> on the yeah, we yeah, Bella, Horizon, Bella Horizonte, we got beat by America, didn't we, in 50. So we, yeah. um, we I think that was the first one, wasn't it, 50? Previously, England, we wouldn't go to the World Cups. We didn't, certainly didn't quali- didn't um, yeah. compete in the early uh, World Cups. Yeah, 1930s, etc. when Uruguay yeah. were, yeah, the international flavour, weren't they? So yeah, they won absolutely. it a couple of times, didn't they? Uh, in 30 and 38, I think it was, wasn't it? So, uh, uh, France, won in 30, France won it in 38. Was it France 30, right, yeah. Um, no, sorry, yeah. Italy won it in, in 38. It was in France in 38. Um, yeah. Italy won it in 30. I think Italy won it in 34 and 38, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Uruguay being the first ones. Yeah. Then 38, we didn't have the World Cup because of the war. 50, it was um, Uruguay won it again yeah. in, in Brazil. And then we can go all the way through because mm-hmm. I could probably name every World Cup winner's from the first one to the uh, and and I get a little bit confused in the latter day ones because it just doesn't hold <laughs> the same water as what the old tournaments used to. Is there any yeah. more books that you've got there that you want to give a mention to? I've exhausted all of my library for <laughs> this month here. Well, I could talk for another ninety minutes about books, kind of thing, but I'll try and limit it down. So uh, I will give a shout out. So that, uh, I've had a few books come to me. So uh, from. Uh, uh, a publisher is called Victor Publishing. Yeah. Uh, great little books as well. This uh, there's a few here. The pictorial one, or pictorial books. Um, one this this is Lost. Uh, it's called Lost, and it's football in the 1980s. Uh, it's a unique photographic record of stadiums, terraces, players, and fans that defined a footballing area. And again, it's just great to look at these books and you look at some of the. Uh, <laughs> I look at some of the fans. I'm just looking at a picture of some of the. Um, uh, let's say some of the uh, clothing that we used to wear kind of thing was quite interesting <laughs> that's what you think back but uh, just look at it you, you know obviously you've got the standing terraces etc as well and quite a dilapidated looking in stadiums for example you've got Main Road I'll look at a picture here what a what a ground that was so what an area uh, that was to go around there around Moss Side you didn't stay around for long after the game certainly um, but yeah, so uh, no, really good book. Uh, and there's a couple of us from the same publishing company uh, called the Non-League Groundhopper's Diary. Right. Uh, and it's uh, Alan Burge and it's edited by uh, Phil Brennan. And again, it's just taking you a trip through some of the, yeah, the clubs in the non-league, which is always really interesting. You know, there's a lot of, obviously, fan, we always talk about the Premier League, etc. But there's so many of these, these clubs and this... Um, I've got volume two here, which you'll know of lots of these teams in the, the local area. Um, so from where well, you've got Spalding, you've got Corby Town, Grantham, Brentwoods, uh, yeah, Winstable, Gloucester City, etc. And then uh, there's a volume three copy as well, which uh, goes sort of chip around more of them. But uh, yeah, it's a lovely picture and it's a basically... A, there's a lot of ground helpers out there um, uh, that uh, love to go from ground to ground, picking up programmes, etc. Um, yeah, and here you've got Nuneaton Town as well. So uh, from the, the West Midlands, well, not quite West Midlands, is it Nuneaton? But, east. Uh, east, yeah, East Midlands, isn't it? So, uh, but you know, great little books from uh, that bit to publishing. Uh, and the Phil Brennan, which I think he's the, I think he runs with to publish, he's involved with somebody, he's a big Stockport County fan. Uh, and one of the books he sent to me was Champions, which is Stockport County's title triumphs and the people behind them. So uh, 
just great um, in terms of successes of a club like Stockport County. They were recently on the tellies. Um, and it was a great match. I'm trying to think who they played at Edgeley Park. Yeah, the DDA um, was, was a good game. Yeah, oh, brilliant, wasn't it? Good game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a cup match, a brilliant game. So uh, uh, I'm trying to think who they played. It'll come back to me probably after this. So, uh, but no, great, some great little books from from them. Uh, and then just one little shout out as well to Vertical Editions because um, they're certainly called uh, Tony Curry, um, the one I mentioned earlier. And a few others as well. I read one of the the best books I read last year was Paddy Kenny, uh, the goalkeeper, yeah. Yeah. Uh, called "The Gloves Are Off." And uh, oh, I'm laughing just thinking about it. some of the stories he's got in here. He's a nutcase, and he talks about Neil Warnock as well. So it's a great insight, some cracking stories, and he lo- he really loves Neil Warnock, and you can understand reasons why as well. Because wherever he went, uh, Paddy Kenny went with him. Basically, mm-hmm. if he turned, he went to QPR. Uh, did he? And then uh, Neil Warnock went to QPR straight after Kenny turns up, etc. He took him everywhere. But some of the stories he got involved with, uh, basically one of them involves him fighting with someone underneath a car. So I'll leave I'll leave you with that image. It's just quite incredible, really. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, Vertical Editions, yeah. They're based in Sheffield, so uh, um, they write a number of books on Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday as well. So, uh, yeah, shout out to them. Uh, and the wonderful last thing I will say is that last year I did a, a, an advent calendar. I did a countdown in December of the picks of 2021. So by all means, anyone look, look on the website, you'll see um, my recommended picks um, from last year as well. So hopefully that gives you some ideas in your next book to read. And again, it just gives you flavour as we've talked through this to the range of stories out there uh, and through, yeah, through all the decades. Gabby. Fantastic. Andy, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you all thank you. for listening. We will reconvene next month and we will talk about another load of football books. But uh, in the meantime, look at Andy's uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts and myfootballbooks.com. Subscribe to, uh, to the website, get a free uh, newsletter every month. And look at some of the fantastic publications that Andy promotes daily. Excellent. Thank you all. And happy reading. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and get off a of page 105 for next month. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll finish it this year, Gabby. We'll be on it. So, excellent. Be so certain. <laughs> Cheers, Fabulous. pal. Till next all time. All the best. Take Speak care. Bye bye. Bye ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.